0: Welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. Huh, Doc? Yes. (laughs) We have a bi-weekly show that's released every other Friday, and this is episode 26. On Horror Movie Podcast, you'll hear in-depth horror movie reviews, especially for new releases. With ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. And I am your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City. And my co host tonight is.
1: Dave Dr. Shock Becker from the Philadelphia suburbs in
0: Pennsylvania. The madman himself. Thanks for being here, buddy. I I hope the listeners know. I think they do. We talk about it enough. But you stay up super mega late, even on work nights, to do this podcast. And I just appreciate that so much.
1: Not a problem. Yeah, um, it is 11, a little, well, a couple minutes after 11 p.m. here on the East Coast. And not too bad tomorrow. I don't got to be in work till 9 a.m. So I got a little bit of time to sleep in.
0: That's good. And then Wolfman Josh He'll actually be joining me shortly for our feature review of Kevin Smith's Tusk, which we'll be inserting into the episode right here at the beginning. But most of this show is going to consist of Dr. Shock and me, because Josh is actually working this week quite a bit. All
1: right. But he'll be he's going to be back, and I think we're... Is this our last episode before we get into the Halloweens?
0: It sure is, and in fact, okay. it is next Friday is when those Halloween, our five-part series, we have... One episode every Friday coming out for the next five weeks, all in October of the Halloween franchise. Nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's serious business. But as far as this show goes, here's our agenda. After Wolfman, Josh, and I review Tusk, we're also going to bring you feature reviews with Dr. Shock and me here. We're going to do Honeymoon and then a little beastly freak called Killer Mermaid that I'm really excited about you guys. I mean, when you hear a title like Killer Mermaid, it's like, I am there. I am watching that movie, right?
1: Yeah, I I, I noticed that in the, in the email you sent me. I was like, well, that's, that's interesting.
0: <laughs> that's right. And then um, I'll also be revisiting The Dead so I can bring you a review of The Dead too, because I've talked about The Dead before, Dr. Shock, but that was with Midnight Corey on one of his shows. I've never really officially reviewed it, so um, will be doing that. And Doc's going to talk about... I've been saving the best for last, you guys. It wasn't like... <laughs> I just didn't want people to think that I put all my stuff first, but the best for last. Doc's going to talk about a movie that I actually f- keep hearing about, and I'm really excited to hear your review tonight of Crawl or Die, and then you've got another um, horror documentary they're going to talk to us about, and we'll have some other shenanigans, I'm sure, right, Doc?
1: I'm sure. We always seem to branch off into various directions as, the, uh, as, we, as we get our discussions underway.
0: Yes, we do. Okay, this will seem like a weird transition already here, because as I record this, at the moment, Dr. Shock is not with me, but we do have the Wolfman, Josh Laguerre. Welcome to the show.
2: Oh,
3: what's up, Jason? How are you today?
0: <laughs> oh, I'm good, buddy. It's good to have you back. I can say definitively well, for myself and for the listeners, we really missed having you. Um, Dr. Shock and I have a good time, and I think we get through the show okay, but it's just not the same when you're not here.
3: Oh, well, thank you. I've been traveling for work um, and for pleasure, and it's been, it's been quite amazing and intense. Yes. So I just to really quickly say it wasn't a. It's not exactly a horror movie. It's a thriller, I guess. But there is a serial killer. Uh, the film, uh, A Perfect Getaway, was filmed uh, where I w- have been in Hawaii, and I uh, hiked the Nepali Coast Trail that is featured in that film um, with my wife, who's my co-host on the Movie Streamcast. And it was really cool. And then, and then we watched the movie afterward, which was <laughs> even more
0: fun. So. It is so awesome. I love it that you do that stuff. That's great. Good times. All right. And Mm -hmm.
3: I went to the place where Godzilla comes out of the water again um, in Oahu. So that was fun too. Yes. And and because Godzilla came out on Blu-ray last week. So it was fun to, again, go there and then watch
0: the movie on Blu-ray. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a nerd. (laughs) No, it's cool. I like it. And so along with Wolfman Josh being here, just happy to introduce a special guest here. He is a horror fan and a filmmaker. He's actually worked with Josh on a number of projects. And we welcome to the show William Rowan Jr.
4: A.K.A. Kill Bill Kill. <laughs> nice.
0: <laughs> I like it. So, uh, William Rowan Jr., this is your first time on horror movie podcast. Or was No, you were on here for Dead Snow 2, right?
4: Yeah, I think... I think we recorded a segment, yeah, that mm-hmm. made it on, yeah. Okay, so you
0: were on here before, so you you know that was for
4: yeah, Dead Snow,
0: yeah, yeah Dead yeah. Snow too.
4: Okay. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Thanks for being here. Okay, well now that we're here, let's jump into our feature review of Tusk.
5: Always do sober what you do drunk, and it'll teach you to keep your mouth shut.
4: Hemingway said that. Correctly.
5: Yes, he did, and he said it to me
0: you to go to canada tomorrow it's for the podcast
4: it's what i do i travel around and i interview weird or interesting people so look out
0: you crazy canucks wandering <laughs> wallace takes a raunchy road trip up to the great white north
5: hello i'm an old man who has enjoyed a long and storied life at sea and after eons of oceanic adventure i know i do not wish to spend my remaining years alone while i have such stories to share
4: How far is Bifrost from here?
5: It's about two hours from here.
4: It's about two hours away.
5: I hate American guys.
4: Good evening. It's nice to meet you.
5: Could I interest you in some tea. So what happened after the boat sank? I was alone. And then something very swift and frightening moved by me.
0: A walrus saved your life? The walrus is far more evolved than any
5: man I've ever known. Present company included. Thank you. You're welcome. Would you? Would
2: you? There, there. And will be all right, Mr. Tusk.
0: Okay, so Tusk was written and directed by Kevin Smith, and it stars the great Michael Parks and Justin Long. And, guys, I got a simple premise here. Do you mind? <laughs> Do you want to hear it? Go for it. Okay. When a podcaster from L.A., played by long travels to Canada to interview an eccentric subject played by parks. The podcaster is abducted by this madman who plans to surgically transform him into a walrus. (laughs) So think human centipede, except with one victim. And the goal is to actually create a walrus instead of a centipede. (laughs) And except this isn't even supposed to be a human walrus guys, like it is human centipede. But the goal is to transform him into a walrus. And that's why we only interview people in this show over Skype and not in person. So, <laughs> so, so So Josh, can you tell um the listeners out there the background to this film?
3: Yeah. So basically, um, this is a Kevin Smith movie. He has several very successful podcasts, but one of them is and his first was called Smodcast, or he and his um producer on most of his movies, Scott Mosier, just sit in a room and talk. And at the beginning, it was just an excuse for them to get together and talk because their lives had become so hectic, they just didn't have time to chat anymore. So they were just looking for an excuse to get together, and then they recorded it and turned it into this major empire um, that he has now. But eventually, they basically ran out of things to talk about. And so they started reading news stories, and these guys are really good at the flight of fancy. So they will read a news story and then just start riffing on it and kind of making up their own version of the story. And one of their listeners sent them um, a news article from the UK that was about a guy who was renting out an apartment. And um, the ad said, basically, you know, I live in this really nice area of town and you can come live in my apartment free of charge, no rent. The only thing you need to do is... (laughs) For several hours at a time, you're going to have to dress up in this walrus costume that I've constructed <laughs> and not make any sounds like a human and just kind of, um, you know, be as a walrus is in my presence. Um, and then, you know, the rest of the time, do whatever you want. I've got a great apartment. It's close to the park. And that's literally how the ad went. And he talked about how, you know, at one point in my life, I was stranded on an island With only a walrus as a companion, (laughs) and it's been hard for me to ever, you know, get back to where I was. So, of course, this really caught their imaginations, and they immediately turned it into, like, an 80s slasher film with a group of teenagers going to this guy's house in the U.K., and Scott Mosier was role-playing the kid, and Kevin Smith was kind of, like, doing the storytelling, and they were riffing and came up with a pretty entertaining idea, and they said, you know what, we're making this a new movie, Copyright copyright us. This is going to be a movie. Ha, you know, tweet us if you want to see. This is a movie. hashtag Walrus Yes. And apparently, he got enough positive feedback that he then went to <clears throat> the guys who make. Um, he had just recently interviewed Scott Derrickson um, about Sinister, and so he went to the pro- the producer of those films and talked to him about making this, and they immediately greenlit it and said, great idea. And apparently there was some problem there were some problems along the way and they ended up changing the production company but um, I don't know the details of that but anyway they he wrote the screenplay largely based on that story as a starting point um, also included some other characters from previous flights of fancy on the podcast the Canadian in uh, a Canadian detective named guy lepoint who's kind of like this um, bumbling French- canadian detective character that make several appearances on different episodes of their podcast. Mm -hmm. I'm usually uncovering like maple syrup, piracy (laughs) situations and things Mm -hmm. like that. Um, Yes. But they actually made the movie. And so I thought that was fascinating. And I thought it was a great idea to make this main character as a podcaster since he had, you know, so much personal experience with that world. And of course, you know, we have a special interest in that world. So I was extremely interested in seeing this movie just almost as an experiment. Like, what is this going to be? Um, when I heard the actor that was going to be p- playing Guy LaPointe, I thought, this is going to be incredible. Um, he mentioned you know, that Red State was a major turning point in his career. And so he, I thought we were going to get something really tonally similar to Red State. And with the premise being what it is, I thought this could be extremely scary and really exciting. Um, and it turns out they kind of went the comedic route. And I think that really undercut a lot of what they were going for. And the film for me. But I have to say, when this movie ended, I have never been so at loss for what I wanted to say about it on a podcast in my entire life. Yeah.
4: I'm in the same boat, man.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, um, if I may, I heard as I was walking out of the theater, I heard this group of people. And one guy said something that captured exactly how I felt. And he said, quote, I've never been so happy and disappointed. <laughs> I wrote it down word for word because that exactly captures it. Now, r- real quick, because I definitely want to hear um, William Rowan Jr., I want to hear your reaction to this. But just so people know, that is Smodcast. It's episode 259. It's titled The Walrus and the Carpenter. And I'll tell you what I did, Josh. I You got me so excited about this. I actually listened to that episode And I knew the premise, but then I'm like, okay, I better stop it, but I couldn't make myself stop it. So, I heard their whole story as it unfolded, and I thought it was tremendous, and that made me, like, die to see this movie. I've been dying to see it. But uh, would you, do you think that's something that people should do before seeing the movie? Because honestly, they end up executing this film... Very much. I mean, it's it's almost exactly like they describe it in the podcast, actually. And they very
3: similar, but there are some major derivations.
0: Mm-hmm, a, a few, but like, I mean, I knew everything that was going to happen, and right. that's kind of how it un- unfolded. And so, would you? So, at the end of the movie, at the end of the credits, mm-hmm. there
3: there's a snippet of the from the podcast. Did you? Yes. Hear that? Oh, yeah. No, I have to say, I I listened to. Um, I listened to this podcast like when it came out like a couple of years ago, so I haven't revisited it. So I don't remember it as clearly as you probably do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I will say that, but I don't remember the snippet of, from the podcast that they played during the closing credits of mm-hmm. Tusk. Yeah. I didn't remember that. And I thought maybe they edited that out of the podcast cause they didn't want people to hear how they had planned on ending
0: it. Oh, it it was in there from that was in there too. Yeah. Like they, they go all the way to the way this film ends like, it's it's almost... Exact- so It's a full-on spoiler. Yeah, like, it's like... So, if you do listen to the podcast, you're going to know beat for beat like what happens throughout the whole film. And it is a spoiler. And I was... In one way, you guys, listeners out there, like, I was mad at myself because I'm like, oh, I knew where it was going so I didn't have the, as much of a WTF reaction as most people probably will when they see this film just on a blank slate. But... On the other hand, it was so enjoyable having heard their vision, which yeah. is just phenomenal to hear them riff on this, just right, like right there, like on the spot to come up with this great story, and then see it actually there materialize on the screen. That was a very cool experience.
3: That was crazy. well, the pers- perfect person to ask. Um, is with us. William Rowan Jr. did not listen to the podcast before seeing the movie. Yeah. So we can we can discuss those uh,
4: differences in opinion.
5: Perfect. And see,
4: I started the episode and decided within a few minutes not to listen to it Mm -hmm. because I thought because at that point I had I knew they were they were in pre-production. They were going to make it. And I thought, you know, I I just want to watch the film at this point. I don't I, I don't know why I just decided not to finish it, but I personally, I think, when I, mean, I was going to end with this, I think that you would enjoy the movie much more if you listened to that episode because I didn't have any of those enjoyable feelings of <laughs> how exciting it was that they're executing you know, their random t- you know, fantasy talk that they had about this craziness. <laughs> I kind of was just looking at it as a horror film and was just very confused and very conflicted about <laughs> the tone and what was, like, to me, basically halfway through. I mean, I don't know the time, so I'm just going to say halfway through. It makes a major gear sh- change. Like, it, it, it changes. It's like two different movies. It's with the
3: introduction of Guy, the previously mentioned Guy Lapointe detective mm. character.
4: Yeah, and so I just couldn't figure out. I'm like, I don't know. Is, I'm like, maybe this was what they were talking about. Like, this will be so funny. People think we'll have this tone. It'll be very serious. And then, boom, we're going to switch it up. And they're not going to know what genre movie they're watching. I mean, I don't know if they explain no. what was going on there. But. No,
3: that, was a, that was a major surprise and disappointment for me because being such a big fan of Red State and knowing who that actor was going to be, mm-hmm. which I don't want to spoil for people because I think it is a bit of a WTF moment.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah. When you're entire, watching the
3: movie.
4: Right. I didn't know but, who it was.
3: But knowing who it was going to be, and um, and knowing the tone of red side, I thought, this is going to be incredible. They're going to play this straight. It's going to be totally kick-ass. Like. <laughs> and so you can imagine, <laughs> having seen the movie, Jason, how weird <laughs> my reaction was to seeing the way it did, did play out.
0: Yeah. And, and be careful. If people want to protect that identity of that actor who plays that... Be careful, because IMDb. I mean, they put it right out there. A lot of times, if there's a surprise casting choice, they'll kind of hide it. But it, it's easy to discover. But I'll tell you what—that's interesting,
3: because they don't credit him in the credits of the movie.
0: Yeah, but it's—it's it's like right there on IMDb, like right, like a like five or six names down. But I'll tell you this: um, the way that see you had mentioned to me before that that actor was going to be in the film, but I totally forgot it, one hundred percent. And when, when I was watching the film, which by the way, I hated that character and I hated that performance, but I'm like, (laughs) this sounds like so-and-so this acts like so-and-so, this is a so-and-so character that must be so-and-so. And And I, and that's how I discovered who it was. (laughs) Like,
4: see, and I, and I didn't know he was in it and I'm watching this character and I just thought, first off that it was just so, it was so cartoony Yes, and clearly slapstick, ridiculous. So I, I just was couldn't. It's I like was.
3: watching the Pink Panther.
0: It's yeah, like,
3: it's yeah. like they took Peter. It's like his major inspiration was Peter Sellers and the Pink Panther.
0: <laughs> yeah, or you know, it would remind me of um. There, there's a scene where they they say two years back, and they do like a flashback and catch you up on this yeah. experience. That
3: that the, scene was insane.
0: It yeah. looked and felt like a Benny Hill skit, <laughs> and I. <laughs> <laughs> I just, yeah exactly so, and i
4: think it's worth don't don't look at imdb and see how long it takes you to figure it out i mean for me it took it was during that flashback the whole time i'm like i know who i know who this is it's someone i know someone i know mm-hmm. and i couldn't place it until that that kind of flashback and then it hit me i was like oh my gosh that's who it is It's yeah. crazy
0: yeah it's, it's pr- pretty crazy so um and we'll definitely, I, I want to talk about that again, but I want to ask you something real fast. Sorry, I, my mind's in a million places. Josh, you've said before, and it, I think this is true is this the first movie that is based on a podcast episode and the first movie whose protagonist is a podcaster?
3: I think it's definitely the first movie where the protagonist is the podcaster. I know there have been several movies based on episodes of This American Life.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: However, This American Life at the time was just a public radio show, not a podcast. So it's it's a bit of splitting hairs. But The Informant, for instance, with Matt Damon is based on an episode of This American Life. Yeah, Unaccompanied Minors, The Family Christmas Movie, is based on an episode of This American Life. And, um, my girlfriend's boyfriend, it was my girlfriend's boyfriend or sleepwalk with me. Anyway, one of those, it's, it's really based on Mike Birbiglia, the comedians, one man show, Mm. but it's produced by the producers of this American life. And it came to pass because he told that story on this American life. So there've been three from this American life that I'm aware of, but, um. This is definitely one like that came up that was born live on a podcast. I mean, that's completely unprecedented.
5: Right. Yeah, yeah.
3: And and I've never seen a podcast or a movie. And getting back to that, I was actually really disappointed because Kevin Smith should know podcasting so well. And I feel like that one of the things this movie gets really wrong is the podcasting. <laughs> like it feels just like a typical radio show like a morning zoo kind of radio show. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like they capture the spirit of what podcasting is like. And it's weird from a guy who has six podcasts,
4: you know? (laughs) Yeah. Like if you didn't know the difference between, or what, even what a podcast was, I think you would just think it was a radio show. Why you wouldn't be able to know the difference between a radio show and a podcast.
0: Well, an interesting note on that. I'm glad you brought that up because he actually takes the time within the film to define a podcast. He has his character define what a podcast is and yeah. then I love this is kind of a very inside baseball personal note, but their microphones, they use the Heil PR-40 and the boom mic and everything. And that's exactly what I have. So it which is like one of the most popular podcasting mics. So I thought that was cool that, yeah. that they had that in there. But
3: yeah, that that, that stuff, you know, obviously it was was fine. But just I'm just I mean, in terms of their personalities, they were playing it as though it was like a morning zoo. Yeah. Yeah kind of show which is weird and you know and part of that might have been the actors. I mean I think Justin Long is fine in this movie but I think a better actor could have been great in this role. Yeah. I think he's just okay. And Haley Joel Osment who we haven't mentioned yet, the little kid from Sixth Sense is in this movie, <laughs> mm-hmm. all grown up and he looks like a weird hobbit but um, <laughs> or he
4: looks like a young Kevin Smith. It looks like Kevin Smith like when he was probably that age to me. And, hmm. But as a hobbit I don't know. Yes, right. <laughs> there's there's a scene at the beginning of the movie where they're
3: doing the podcast, and I don't know if you guys are Seinfeld fans, but there's a scene mm-hmm. in Seinfeld back in the day where Jerry and Kramer are trying to pretend like they're laughing. So they're like, "I can do a better fake laugh than you." It's like this, ha 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 ha. And they're both sh- they're both trying to do laughs yeah. back and forth, doing these fake laughs and trying to pass them off as real. And George walks in and says, "Why are you guys pretending to laugh?" Like immediately when he walks in the room, <laughs> and that's what it felt like. It didn't. It, that was the most fake looking laugh from Haley Joel Osment I've ever seen. I didn't believe him for a second, and that that was rough because I was really taken out of the movie at the beginning of the movie. It took me a while to get into it. I thought there were some interesting moments, like Genesis Genesis Rodriguez has an interesting bit of acting where she's playing directly to the camera. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: She was was really strong in that, but tonally, again, it was just a weird shift from what we'd been seeing. Um, But there was a moment where they first start talking about a spider, where all of a sudden, bam, like someone smacked me in the face. I was 100% into the movie. Yes. And that lasted for a good 20 minutes where I was just like, this is going to be amazing, this is going to be amazing! And right. then all of a sudden, that scene that we've referred to yes. <clears throat> with the detective happens, and it just completely took all the wind out of the sails for me at that moment. Yes, And it wasn't that it wasn't enjoyable, like your person in the theater said. I was still enjoying myself, right. but it wasn't what I had hoped it would be. And, and, and it wasn't what I thought it could be, because I, all of the elements were there in that that 20-minute segment to really make a great creepy horror
0: movie. I know. You know I would give away both I I I'd I'd give away my car if if <laughs> if, if we could have this as a straight up horror film and I want to speak to that. So we're on horror movie podcast here and in case the horror fans out there are saying, "Why are you talking about this film on this podcast?" It is I mean it's comedy horror and and it's half comedy and I hated that part, but the other half is genuinely horrifying I mean you guys call this a horror film, right
3: yeah, um, i mean i don't the first I, half I don't, I don't know what to call it i mean <laughs> it's it's horrific at all times, and you know mm-hmm. So, I mean, in that sense, yes, it doesn't shy away from the gore that is there, although it does do a lot of it off screen, Mm -hmm. but it's disgusting to look at much of the time. And the idea, the very concept is scary. And knowing what a wuss Kevin Smith is in his personal life, like the way he describes it is perfect. Like, you know, like what's the scariest thing that could happen right now? He nails that, I think. Yeah, and he and he knows because he is a guy who worries about being abducted and home invasion and stuff constantly, and he really gets that right. Um, and yeah. so I just don't, I don't understand the tonal shift. It almost to me, and maybe this isn't fair, but I think it seems like a lack of commitment. Like it seems like we were scared to go full <laughs> walrus, so to speak, with this movie because. Um, <laughs> You know, because it just seems like it was all there. Like, I don't get why you don't completely capitalize on what you started in that moment. Because it's not something, and maybe it's because the concept in itself is so ridiculous that they were afraid to go full walrus. But I think, um on, I think it would have benefited from a more serious take on it. And the parts that are there are some parts that are funny and the absurdity, like especially in that spider moment and from that Michael Parks character. The absurdity of what's happening is terrifying when played the right way. Like you can laugh at the concept and still be super scared. Yeah, of the concept. Right. Uh, at the same time, so so you can have some real legitimate organic comedy in this movie and still be a scary movie. But they went for more straight up laughs that I just didn't get.
5: Well, um yeah,
3: it's kind of like if you were to
4: you know watch. Uh, The Human Centipede, but then halfway through that movie, it turned into the last part of Cabin in the Woods. And you just don't really understand. The transition wouldn't make sense. It's like just really, it just changes gears too much randomly. I just don't think you can take an audience, I just don't think that transition would ever work, in my opinion.
5: Yeah.
3: I mean I I don't know how I feel about it. I mean this is still very fresh in my mind. I just saw it today. So I I, I want to let it ruminate a bit. Uh, you know, we can't do that for our listeners obviously, but um but I it, it was a complicated viewing experience to tell you the truth. I, like I said I've never <laughs> felt so uneasy about what I was going to say on movie review podcast before i'm like i don't know exactly how i feel about this movie
0: right and i I think most people probably who watch this will feel that way i think there will be a contingent of people probably a pretty big contingent that will just straight up hate it like horror fans just because of the comedy elements but here's what i want to say about that like um this would be if you let yourself Because I really let myself, you know, go into the film. And so, there were moments where people in the theater were laughing and I was feeling scared, which is really bizarre. But, like, this is a total nightmare. And this whole body horror subgenre, I think there's more to it than we think than just the gross out thing. Um, Like, for example, where abductees are kidnapped and changed physically, like, against their will, like, in Human Centipede or, like, in Tusk here... I think those body transformations resonate and it stirs up themes of um, well, and, and I have no knowledge of this, but I'm just saying like, it's kind of like a rape sim- scenario. It's almost like a, a horror allegory or like a, like a depiction of rape that's, um, you know, that's a different scenario because you're t- having someone take your body and do things with it that you don't want.
3: Right. No, it makes sense. And I think something you just said uh, made me think of is I think one of the sad things about the use of the comedy in the movie is that it doesn't work because his premise is so good. Like, um, there are a lot of intentional, straight up jokes in this movie, especially for podcast listeners. Like, not only in that specific episode, but people who are avid fans and listeners of the podcast will get there's so much inside humor here just for those people. It's yeah. just peppered throughout. Just little lines, jokes, his ringtone, everything that happens. Um, you know, the when he says ponder rock, that is that is so funny. Like I burst out laughing because that's a major plot point of like, you know, a, a series of like five of his podcasts in a row from Smodcast. <laughs> that phrase. And so there's tons of stuff to appreciate, but you you're not in the mood to laugh. Like the first 20 minutes, there were all these jokes and nobody in our theater even slightly laughed because you don't feel like you want to laugh at this. Right. You're not ready to laugh. And you're like, I laughed during the spider scene and then almost cried. Like, and that's how I wanted to laugh in this movie. Like when, when the spider line comes up for Michael Parks, I was just like. Laughing and terrified is, incidentally, and that felt like exactly the way I wanted to be laughing in this movie,
2: mm-hmm.
3: um, as opposed to just the straight. A lot of the straight up jokes which did not land. Like nobody thought they were funny. Same, and, and which is weird, you know.
0: Yeah, the, yeah, it was bizarre too because I was expecting. I went to the late showing last night. It was a Saturday night, and it was, um, you know, ten o'clock, and there were about fifteen people in the theater, and most of them were. Pretty young, like twenties, and and nobody laughed at all the the Kevin Smith stuff. And I call it Kevin Smith stuff because it seemed like it was just him riffing. I mean, he was being very indulgent about his podcast type of humor, and right. and then and nobody laughed at that. But the weird stuff is when it went when he went into the horror part, like when we, I mean, we're gonna be talking about this because obviously the the plan of the the plan of the kidnapper is to turn this guy into a walrus and so we're gonna get to see that and we know that so that's not a spoiler but when people first see the walrus they laughed but for me you guys I was like that is that is horrifying to me because that is exactly what it would look like because it, <laughs> right. because it's not gonna be a hundred percent replica of a living walrus it's going to look a little bit off and it does so i don't know if they did that on purpose but if they did it was brilliant because that's 100 percent accurate because it wouldn't look exactly like a walrus what what did you guys think of the look
4: of the walrus well i think and maybe you guys can be clarified there might have been at first i thought this looks really bad but then i forgot the line there was a line earlier that said I have constructed this suit, mm-hmm. and you will fit in it. So it's half suit, half transformation. Correct. Yeah, yes, yes. Oh yeah. So once I I forgot that, so I thought this is this is horror. This looks really bad and weird. But then I was like, oh, I forgot he's actually yeah. It's not. It's only half transformation. I don't know like how he looks completely. But I thought it, once once I remembered that, I thought yeah, this is probably how it would look. Right. Like
3: my my problem with it. <clears throat> and and this is like very technical for I'm sure some of the listeners know, might, might not care about this, but I do think it has a psychological effect, is the lighting. And I especially thought the lighting in the first half – the first 20 minutes or so in the movie was really bad. And, um, and I thought it was bad during the walrus reveal stuff. I thought it was too bright. You could see it too much. Yeah. And I know that sounds like a dumb criticism but it takes away some of the scariness of it. Like I want it to be in the shadows a little bit more. Exactly. I want to be horrified by it a little yep. bit more. Mm-hmm. And when you can see it very clearly, it seems like it's playing the comedy factor more.
0: You're dead on. It seems yep. like it's
3: playing it as, you know, for the laugh.
0: Cause it was lit so brightly when they first, when you first see him. full. And bloom. every
3: time you see it in that, in that setting, it's always super bright. Yep. And it would have been a thousand times scarier if it had just been dark. Yeah. And you didn't get a good look at it. And you, you know,
0: like, I think, mm-hmm.
3: it, honestly, I think it would have played a lot better.
0: Yeah. hundred percent agree. Absolutely. But, um, you know, I will say too, I, there are other elements that help with the scare. For example, in the soundtrack, there is this low, it's either a low horn, like a tuba or something. And it, it almost sounds like walrus groans or, you know, but it it's clearly an instrument but it's it's very low on the soundtrack. So, listeners, when you see this movie, listen for that carefully. It's very unsettling. I felt that music making me scared. So, you would hear that on the soundtrack. And then, Michael Park's performance, see, he would go and he would start mocking or laughing or being silly. And at first, I'm like, okay, that's too much. And then I'm like, wait a second. It is too much. That's scary. He's freaking nuts. You know, and it really affected yeah. me, and I started getting he, he, like weirded out.
3: Was, I think what, I thought you, he was perfect. Yeah,
4: yeah. <laughs> he's, by, he's the best part of the movie overall. I think he he is amazing at the characters he portrays that he comes up with. <laughs> yes, did you did you guys catch? I think there was an homage to Texas Chainsaw Massacre at the dinner table. I believe. Did you Whoa. guys know that movie,
0: Oh, Yeah, I love it's my all time favorite horror film. What was it? I missed it.
4: Well, I believe it's the the part where you know Justin Long is screaming out of nowhere, like he just starts screaming, and then the and then um, oh, yeah. Michael Park starts kind of screaming back at him. I think you're right, like making fun of him. I think that's there's a part in Texas Chainsaw Mass- Massacre that's similar
0: to that. I believe. Yes, there is. Yeah, props. Good way. Good catch, William. I 100 <laughs> percent agree. Yeah.
4: Um. So there's a lot of. It's kind of like yeah, Kevin Smith knows what he's I mean he's putting he's he wove so many things in there like a lot of little hidden things and every everything's thought out that's why I can't wrap my mind around the toe even like you guys talked about what's that the actor there's an actress in the movie that does this whole dialogue yeah right in front of the camera that Jennifer was Green. so good and so emotional but at this point it's kind of I, I just like I'm way into this I'm like what They're they're setting up some stuff that's going to be dark and 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 this is gonna like start an arc that's gonna it's gonna be intense, and I was like getting in anxiety about it because I'm if she's already at, starting out here, yeah, where's it gonna go? But no, it doesn't. It it doesn't. That stuff's kind of like well, that was the first half. We're not doing that again. We're not really gonna go anywhere else with this tone. And I just can't. I don't know why he would make if he knowingly made that choice. I have failed to find the meaning behind it.
3: Well, I mean, I think you said something really good there that I, that I identify with, which is I, it's all done on purpose. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, and so I think you see sometimes a bad horror movie or bad horror comedy, and they're bad because they just are a failing of the, the technical aspects or you know, it's just like poorly written or whatever. This is weird, like extremely weird, but it's all done intentionally. And so I think that's what the, one of the reasons why I'm feeling so torn and I feel like I need to let it sit with me a little bit more because he had a point when he was doing it and he, he chose to do it the way he did it. And so it makes me just confused and want to understand, you know, some of those choices. Like there were like that scene on the porch where, you know, where mm-hmm. William was saying he recognized who the actor was. Yeah. That was so unnecessary. (laughs) Like, it it reminded me of Big Bad Wolves, actually. In, in, I don't know if it's just because of the actual location or whatever. That's probably all it
2: was.
3: (laughs) But it reminded me of that idea of, you know, we're at this cabin. There's this thing happening inside the house, potentially. But they don't play it for that tension. They play it as the weirdest scene yeah and as as the audience, you don't really know what you're looking at even when the scene ends yeah like, you don't know <laughs> yeah. what the point is of the scene and, and part of it is I honestly think it's because it's a sh- part of it's a shout out to the fans The voice that Michael Parks is doing is a voice that one of Kevin Smith's co-hosts does called McDonald's Fry Girl <laughs> on one of their podcasts. <laughs> And I think that was the sole reason that that scene existed in a lot of ways. And obviously, again, there's that tension that's supposed to be there, like in Big Bad Wolves. (laughs) But, um, you know, or Misery or anything where the cop is potentially on the trail. Yeah. And close, but no cigar kind of a situation. But it feels like this huge deviation from the film, and it really hurts the pacing of the film. And sucks out a lot of that tension, and there are there the structurally there all are all of these cutaways um, that suck out the tension of the film yes but but yes. Sp- but I will say story wise as a film, if I'm not just looking at it as a horror flick, I actually like those as a mo- in a movie, yeah, but, but i don't think that but I do think that they cut down on the horror of the of the film and I feel I feel like there were a lot of missed opportunities with those other characters especially Haley Joel Osment is a good actor and I wouldn't have thought that Jenis Rodriguez was a good actress but she is good in this movie so I I I knew that they could do it and I feel like like William said it it up something really dark with these characters why don't we get more with them so that we care when doors start getting kicked in and stuff you know yeah I just didn't care at that point about those characters or I wasn't interested really in their journey. At that point,
0: well, you're 100% right. I totally agree with you about um, breaking the horror tension because the, the reason this is scary is because he gets abducted and he is trapped, he is immobilized. And in, in order for us to feel that as an audience, we need to be stuck there too. But we keep getting these breaks from it and we see flashbacks or we see what's going on back home with his friends. And yeah, it kills that that whole suspense factor. And I think that was a huge mistake.
3: I like the transformation, mm-hmm. but I think something else that would have helped the horror tension was to spread that out more and see, like, we see the first time something happens to him. Mm-hmm. And we're like, what? What is going on? Right. And then the next time it goes way further. Yeah. And, I, and I don't know if that's just because it's like the human centipede effect or what. Mm hmm. But I feel like I would have liked to see that happen a lot slower.
5: Yeah. And see,
3: and see that. And then those inner cuts of the story of them trying to find their friend would have worked really well if that transformation was going really slowly. It, but, yeah. but that's not what he's interested in doing. He's interested in getting to the ending of the movie, right? Like, right. Which I just still don't think works that great. Um, like the ending, ending actually, I think is
4: hilarious. Full blown comedy.
3: Yeah, full blown comedy. I think it's super funny. But I will say, um, the scene that precedes that, that's kind of the emotional payoff of the movie. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like it's, it doesn't feel earned at that point. And I think it needed to go further, either in yes. terms of what Michael Parks is doing to Justin Long, whether it's in that body transformation section or once the transformation's taken place. There's not enough torture porn, honestly. Like, there's not, it has, you don't, he's gone through a lot, like, un, like more than any other character that's been in this kind of movie. He's gone through a lot. Yeah. But you don't get, a, because you don't get to see, and because of the nature of it, you don't get to hear his reaction to it as much as you might want to.
0: Right.
5: Yeah. And
3: so, um, and so, yeah, it just doesn't feel earned, unfortunately, in that last moment. I'm still waiting for his character to kind of take a turn that, um. Michael Park's character takes toward the end, right?
0: Know? Yeah, because there's the the listeners should know there's not a lot of um a lot of stuff happens off screen. There's not a lot of gore. There's not a lot of violence. And
3: it's gory to look at. Like it's disgusting to look at, but you don't see the.
4: Yeah, how, how it's impl- it's implied enough that if you didn't know it was there, it would it would affect you though, so, right?
3: Yeah, I think it's easy to miss how much of it is actually off screen because. What is on screen is so disgusting, but you don't see, yeah. <laughs> you don't see the stab moments.
0: Yeah. You know? Right. But I think for like a lot of like, if you're like a hardcore gore hound or whatever, you're going to think this is very tame just because of how much it doesn't show. But you guys are right. The implied but even what's on the impl-
3: reveal, you can't call the reveal tame.
0: Well, I think uh, some people would think it was ridiculous. I mean, people in my theater laughed on the reveal, but I thought it was scary because it was just nailed it. But
3: I bet they laughed and were still scared, though, because I I could relate to that.
0: Okay, so you wanted to laugh. I mean, yeah, like in in a way, there's a degree to which it looks silly, but it's like, well, that's what you'd look like. (laughs) You know? know? Um, Here here are my biggest negatives. Number one, We already mentioned, I despised the Guy Lapointe character. I hated that character in the performance there. Um, And I think the characters in this film, just generally speaking, a lot of them are too much caricatures. Um, I like Michael Parks, where he is, and I like um, Haley Joel Osment and Genesis Rodriguez. They were great. And they played the straight people, by the way. Genesis and Haley, they played like normal people would act in this situation, which I liked. But I think Kevin Smith was really indulgent about um, his the comedy dialogue. And even with Justin Long's performance, it, it bothered me because I didn't think, you know, when he was reacting to the initial, the first portion of the transformation, when he reacts to that, it, it's played comedically. And I think they, they should have done away with the comedy stuff out the window. And he should have done it straight because later he, he leaves some voicemails that I think are pretty good as far as performance, but otherwise I, I just, I was, I didn't think he could pull it off.
3: I thought there were moments that could have been house of the devil mm-hmm. so many times in that early point, And they just didn't, yeah. they weren't bad, but they just didn't land in the same way.
0: Right. Right. And as far as the writing, like, um, you know, Kevin Smith wrote and directed this, I thought the comedy writing was bad, but then, Michael Parks, I mean, he plays this intellectual guy and he's a storyteller. He's had all these experiences. A lot of that writing is very good. And I was impressed with that. And, you know, he likes the he's a quoter. He likes to quote people and so forth. Um, but, you know, speaking of the writing though, like in the beginning of the movie, you got two, two scenes involving people whizzing, you know, peeing scenes. And then there's
3: three actually.
0: Okay. Three. Yeah. And there's then a you, lot
3: of peeing. There's a lot of toothbrushing.
0: And there's a lot of, um, you got a couple instances of, you know, them discussing flatulence, which is just, I don't know. That's so dumb. And you got that twice in this movie. And, and so that bugged me. And then I wondered about <clears throat> Kevin, Kevin Smith. It seems like at one point he does a little bit of backdoor bragging because he talks about how the success of their podcast and, you got a hundred grand off of ads last year and you got a juggernaut of a podcast. But then later it's almost like he does some self commentary when his girlfriend is being critical of how he's changed and become hardened. And I'm like, I wonder if he's kind of, you know, being honest there, taking a dig at himself. I don't know.
3: I thought that felt really brutally honest and I appreciated that. And I liked everything he said about that. Like clearly, I don't know if he, I don't know if he really feels that way. As a you know, as a long-time fan and listener, I don't think he really does, but I do like the commentary on Kevin Smith that is in the movie, which is basically like, you know, when you met me, I was a broke little geek making Star Wars references, and now I'm yeah, this guy who's created my own empire, and that's totally true, you know? Mm-hmm. That's awesome, in a way. I, I don't know. I like that aspect of the podcasting stuff I, and, I, and the relationship stuff. And I think the movie would have benefited from that, more of that, and more of the Haley Joel Osment stuff because I just think, that, like, often, as my complaint with horror movies, I think the more invested you are in these characters, the more the horror hits later.
4: Mm-hmm. Can I tell you guys, I was ex- really affected by Justin Long's portrayal of his character, like his behavior and mannerisms... Like, they were so potent to me because I've met people that are like that. Oh. And I'm sure Justin Long's nothing like that. This is all, I mean, it seemed natural, but I think just the little, how he reacts to people, how he's just, he'll just carry in his, you know, big gulp wherever he's at. And he just put, you know, he's just re- constantly being like obnoxious, <laughs> thoughtless. And I just felt like that he's nailed so many people around me act like that and I don't, I, it was weird because at first I was relating much more to Michael Parks because, of course, you meet him and he's much more, of course, old school and, and, you know. Refined. Refined, yes. But, I mean, he's, of course, extreme on the other side. Right. But I I thought it was like – it was something that I was having an emotional response to his character. Like I almost was excited to see him being p- – going to be punished for just who he is. I mean, and that's maybe that was, was first.
3: Maybe that's part of the point, you know. that's, no, a, that's a That's definitely a horror movie
4: thing. It definitely was. I'm saying I thought it was done well. Like, I liked it. I I was responding to it, you know? I
3: I totally see that, and you saying that makes me appreciate it more, but I still feel like, to me, that was more distracting than anything else. Like, I I just, I feel like, to me, he becomes one of the weak parts of the movie. I I don't know. I'm so so conflicted on it. Because I do see everything you're saying, and I get it. But I just imagine a better actor pulling off those, you know, those scenes with the girlfriend so much better and making you then again, care more later. I don't know. I don't know.
0: Yeah. I'm with you. Okay. So just kind of to wrap this up then with our uh, final thoughts and feelings on it. um, (laughs) When, when, when it says just a quick question first, when it says based on actual events at the beginning, um, do you think the, He's just flat out lying, or do you think he's referring to the podcast itself that they reported about this?
3: <laughs> I, I know he's a huge Fargo fan.
0: So yeah. Okay.
3: I think there's that, but I, I know he is definitely talking about the podcast too.
0: Okay. So. Gotcha. Well, okay. Here, here are my kind of final thoughts here. The detective work, when the Lapointe character actually eventually gets around to being a detective It's kind of cool, actually. And I think that Kevin Smith should have played this film out straight and just been dead serious and then let the comedy naturally and organically emerge from how just farcical, how fantastical and insane it gets. I think it would have been a million times better film. It would have been amazing. I mean, I I actually overall, even though I hated 50% of it, I actually really like this film it does have some serious structural problems like the cuts to the other scenes. That's a problem for me. I just want to tell people here, um, there's a stinger at the very end, just so you know, and I love how they play a portion of the podcast during the closing credits. That was excellent. Also in the credits, this is a weird thing I noticed in the makeup and art department. There's a guy whose name yeah. is Alan Tusks yes. <laughs> or, or Tuskis or something. And yeah. I'm, I'm like, for real? That's a weird Did he get coincidence. Hired just for that reason, <laughs> I know. I'm like, no way. And then he thanks everybody who tweeted walrus yes, which I think is cool. But I'll just say to the listeners, this this film is so bizarre. It is so far out there, so WTF that I, you won't see anything else like this this year. I mean, the closest thing that comes to this is like a human centipede movie, but but even then, because of all the tonal shifts, it's so bizarre. Once. Um, well, many times I think Werner Herzog, famous uh, filmmaker, documentary filmmaker that we love, he's, he's complained that this modern world is starving for images and that the media pounds the same paltry ideas into our heads time and again, and that we need to see around the edges or over the top. And I just want to say Tusk is definitely over the top. This film has some new imagery for you. I give it a seven point five out of ten. I think you should see it in the theater just to support crazy cinema like this. And I think for most people, it's going to be a rental. Someone is put it at a rental, but for me, it's going to be a buy. Even though I hate fifty percent of it, I think it's <laughs> That's
3: so compelling that
0: you said that, dude. I think it's special. I really do. So, what do you say, Josh?
3: I gotta say, I'm I'm feeling all the same vibes um, that you're putting out there. I I feel. <laughs> I, I think little fixes. And I feel honestly, I felt like this with Red State. Kevin Smith, I've always said, is a great writer, mm-hmm. and I think he is someone that, in some ways, has had a little bit too much power with his, you know, his final cut and his movies, have being able, you know, to have full creative control. I think we see with a guy like Spielberg or somebody like Michael Bay, they do better under when they're, um, you know. And having yeah, their hel- right. feet held over the fire, yeah, with restrictions, and I think that's just true generally. I think to have something to butt up against, and so, so like you know, I'd always used to say, you know, let David Mamet write his screenplays, let Kevin Smith write his screenplays, but have someone else direct them. And I started taking a step back on that. Um, you know, even though I'm a huge fan of *Chasing Amy*, and I honestly I'm a huge fan of most of his movies, but not in the same way. Like *Chasing Amy* is a legitimately good movie. I also love *Mallrats*. It's not a good movie, but um, <laughs> but but what I noticed starting with *Clarks* two, and then really noticed on *Red State* is his movies are suffering from him editing them. I feel like you bring in a better editor, or someone who just edits full time, this movie would be a lot better. Um, and I think this the pacing in the first twenty minutes or so is really bad yes um, and and it 's re- makes it really tough to get into the movie it 's skipping over stuff that it 's deeming too boring, but in some ways is the most interesting part of the podcast, which is the story of this handbill and what 's happening and they just skip over that in a brief voiceover section. And skipping over what is in kind of the most compelling part of the original podcast, right? Like mm-hmm. in terms of like really grabbing your attention, you don't get that same feeling initially here. And maybe that's to play it for a surprise, but it did take away from me. The other thing is lighting, a really easy fix.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Maybe you could even fix some of that in post. I don't know, but I feel like the movie really suffers from not having a darker lighting scheme. I'm not familiar with the cinematographer. Um, I didn't I didn't like look to see his other work, but it's not somebody Kevin Smith worked with before. And it's not somebody whose name I recognized um, right off the bat. But, you know, and there's some beautiful shots in here, actually. I really like those shots from like outside the dining room and some nice there's some nice moments.
0: But that lighting is brutal and hurts the film. Um, there's the problem. The cinematographer also did bad Milo
3: there you go well and that just, that makes actually sense this feels like it belongs more in the bad milo world than a lot of other things but okay. um sorry no that's fine I'm, I'm rambling to some degree i just you know i'm a big fan of kevin smith i'm a big supporter of his and i just wish you know i think there are just a few little things that would have made the film significantly better but to me the biggest thing is guy, guy Lapointe. i i don't mind that he went this direction I think you know, there are things to be treasured in that performance and that, that approach to the character. But with the actor that they had, I would have far preferred just a straight version of that character. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you could have had a badass movie on your hands. Yes. And I love Red State, and I would have liked to see that tone carry over into Tusk. Amen. So that's all I have to say about the movie. I think um, I would also probably give this a 7- I think it's a rental for most people, but I'm going to buy it. And if this sounds intriguing to you at all, um, see it in the theater. And I guess I'm going to recommend you listen to the podcast first.
0: Oh, okay. Interesting. I'm going to recommend, man, I'm torn on that. Listen to the podcast first or not. (laughs) I'd say don't listen to the podcast first, just so you can be totally shocked. But William says opposite, right?
4: Only because I still knew without listening from the podcast that it, the, I knew what the premise was. I think it's in the trailer enough to figure out what is going to happen. I don't think that, I guess, it don't watch the trailer. If, if, you, if you don't listen to the podcast, don't watch the trailer and go into it raw. But I mean, I if think- you're
3: hearing this review, we, we haven't put out major spoilers that aren't in the poster and the trailer, but
5: yeah,
0: mm-hmm. but
3: you'll have an idea of. The basics of this movie, even just having heard what we've said about it. But we
0: didn't reveal some of the really juicy stuff in the ending, right? And which the podcast does reveal, right? Okay, sorry, William, go ahead.
4: Oh, well, I, you know, what's funny is I, I really do feel, I feel very much on the same page with you guys, but I have a very different kind of result or my response, I guess, of how I emotionally (laughs) feel about it. Uh I mean, two mistakes. Personally, I wish I would have listened to the podcast, but that's because I did it without listening to it. So it's easy for me to say, like, well, I didn't like that, so maybe listening to it would have been more helpful. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I am saying I think you should listen to the podcast. But I also, a mistake I made was I really enjoyed Red State, his previous film. Mm-hmm. And, his, and that film is consistent, and it is clearly, um, tonally consistently the same, and it was a tone that I thought was very new for Kevin Smith, and I, it was so different from his previous movies, which I also, especially the first three, I love his first three movies, and I thought Red State was just came out of nowhere, and I said, this is where he's going now? This is amazing, so I really kind of expected that with Tusk, yeah. which was a big mistake. That really screwed up my whole mindset, and so my recommendation definitely would be do not just get Red State out of your mind. Don't even think about that. It's its own. This is its own new thing. If you watch
3: Jay and Silent Bob strike back before you go, you'll you'll appreciate this more. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Jeez. I guess I would say, see, for me, it's a 5 out of 10. And that's because I loved half of it. So I just went right down the middle with this rating.
3: But I think even if somebody was to say, like, no, this is a three, I'd be like, yeah, I can see that.
4: <laughs>
3: like, <laughs> yes. I
5: was surprised. And honestly, it,
3: it's almost too bad you gave that fan review as your walk of, you know, after the movie review, because it really sums it up perfectly. It's hard to even compare with what that guy in your audience said, Jason, because to me, that just says it all. Right?
0: Yeah, let's hear it again. It was, I've never been so happy and disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So you say, William, you say five out of ten, and is
4: that a rental or what? I would personally, it's a full-blown avoid unless you are a Kevin Smith fan. Then go all in, go all in as in see it in theaters Buy it, love it, put it on your shelf because you're. If you're a Kevin Smith fan, it doesn't matter, you're already in. So that's
3: not true. That's not true. I'm a huge Kevin Smith fan. I know of the three of us, I'm the most devoted Mm -hmm. of his fans. It's still a weird movie that takes a lot of thinking about (laughs) to appreciate (laughs) what it is he's done here. It's not typical Kevin Smith in any way, like, there's nothing, there's very little here to really. latch onto as a Kevin Smith fan, again, except for all of the podcast references and stuff. It's like True. he replaced all, the, all of his pop cultural references, save a few, with um, his own podcast <laughs> references here.
4: Mm-hmm. True. But I still think like just because you want to support Kevin Smith, you probably are familiar with everything he's doing. I just meant more as a fan overall, keep up the good support. Sure. Or the underground, independent.
3: But I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that any fan of a Kevin Smith movie is going to like this movie. Because oh just, no, it's so different.
4: Sorry, I, if I, I didn't mean to imply they will like it. I just meant <laughs> if you are a fan, just go see it. I don't know. You you might throw up. I don't in your mouth.
3: Now, do you think? Let me ask you this, <laughs> William. Do you think this is worth seeing just for the spectacle of? I know you're someone who's into the so bad they're good movies. Mm-hmm. Is this a weird enough? thing to just see just because what the crap was that
4: yes yeah it definitely qualifies for that but be very careful yeah you know, pick who you're going to do that with um i think it could be very disturbing to someone who's not been properly prepped oh yeah
3: <laughs> like if they're un- if they're unfamiliar with like the gore level
4: or uh yeah yeah uh, any if if yeah i mean like I said, it's not the same tone, consistent as human centipede, but it is close enough, and to me, and maybe this reveals a little bit about myself, I actually kind of regret seeing the human centipede, and there are, I just can't get it out of my mind, and it will pop up at times when it I don't want it there and it, it had an effect on me that I just if I could go back and just uh, not stream that, I probably would. It's like a regret I wish I could take back.
3: <laughs> yeah, you know honestly, we had discussed at one point combining our Tusk review with a review, you know, with a themed episode that would include human centipede. And Mm -hmm. that was, but we just couldn't work it out timing wise. Um, But I agree with you. I don't like human centipede and I, I refuse to see the second movie.
0: I love Um, human centipede.
3: I find it so disgusting and um, it's just not the kind of thing I'm into at all. But I think this would have been different. Like, I think that if this had been straight up horror I think what Michael Parks brought to this was ten times more interesting than the Doctor in Human Centipede. That's Wait. true.
0: Yeah, but the the reason I just want to say I'm not in quote unquote into that either,
3: <laughs> right? You like the middle?
4: Uh, the, Is anybody really yeah. that? Yeah, little, I'm the really middle segment. It.
0: By the way, I interviewed <laughs> her before the middle segment, um, Ashley. I believe it's what her, Ashley? See, yeah, on um, our, our first podcast ever, considering the sequels podcast. Um, we had an episode about extreme cinema. I can, I'll link it in the show notes. But we had Ashley C. Williams, and I interviewed her about you know extreme cinema and her role in that film. Wow, and it's pretty cool. She's a nice gal. But
3: when we do the um, human centipede episode with Doc, um, you got to cut in a couple of clips from your interview with her. That would be amazing.
0: Absolutely happy to do that. But I, what I want to say is the reason I love the human centipede centipede first sequence is because one of my favorite things to do or, or to be affected in a movie is for a movie to make me ask myself in horror, what would I do if I were in that situation? And man, that's one of the strongest reactions that I've had. Same thing with Tusk. It does that too. It's like, what would you ever do? If you were that screwed
3: and I want to see more of the struggle, I think, you know, we even talked about something like sacrament recently. Um, that's That movie's got a great scene of this guy struggling mm-hmm. to get away. And I just, I wanted to see more of that from Justin Long. I want to see more of his torture. I'm not a torture porn fan, right. but I wanted to see more of his struggle to get to where he eventually goes, you yeah. know?
4: And can I, I just want to say one more thing. Um, this movie is set in Manitoba, Winnipeg, the city of Winnipeg, right outside of it. Mm-hmm. And I happen to have lived in Winnipeg for a few years. <laughs> and I can say without hesitation that Winnipeg wishes it was that interesting. Trust me, it's not. I mean, that place has nothing going on in the slightest. And they, they probably would love if this would happen there. <laughs> what? <laughs> Well, I honestly, um, a way that I
0: really related to the Justin Long character is you know, I'm a podcaster, but also I love getting giant, um, Coca-Cola drinks at (laughs) gas stations and convenience stores. So I want to go to that Canadian store there where they have all the maple syrup in the background and stuff.
3: That's not real, Jason.
0: I know. I know.
3: And that is a, you know, we do have a few Canadian listeners that I'm aware of and, um,
4: (laughs) Like, and I was joking, is, everybody.
3: <laughs> yeah, this is a uh, like this is such a derogatory view of Canada. It's like the most ridiculous depiction of Canada, which is weird because Kevin Smith is such a big fan of ca- Canadians and all things Canada, and he's clearly just having some level, you know, some fun with it. And and you know, it's but it's just the most obvious like jokes on the planet. I don't know. I just I wish yeah there's something a little more like Doug and Bob McKenzie
4: stuff okay. like. You know, I,
3: right. I, I would have preferred something a little more realistic.
4: Yeah, it it is. Clearly, they were the Canada was kind of the butt of a joke, but I didn't understand why. And I knew Kevin Smith liked Canada. So I would have assumed the director or the writer hated Canada and wanted to take him down. A notch. <laughs> right. Yeah, so I was right. very confused about why they did that. But whatever.
0: <laughs> well, I'll tell you what we'll do, listeners. So we'll, we will link that Kevin Smith podcast episode where he <laughs> kind of unfolds this crazy yarn of Tusk. And so you can choose to hear that before or after you see the movie. And um, I hope you enjoy it. I sure did. And it was really funny to me. Like the times that I did laugh during this movie were times that I remembered what, at, what they said as the story unfolded. And then seeing it on screen was hilarious that they remembered to put that, you know, that they put that in there and stuff. So anyways, that's our review of Tusk. I can't wait to get the listener feedback and hear what other people think of Tusk. It is a full-blown comedy horror film, for sure. Right? I mean, there's no question about it.
2: Yeah.
0: All right, guys. Well, thanks for your review. That was tremendous. I hope everybody was okay with us spending that much time on it. But I'd been looking forward to that f- for so long and really excited. And um, So anyway, as we wrap up, I know you guys got to get going. Um, love to hear. William Rowan Jr., where can the listeners follow you on the internet or keep track of you?
4: The best way to keep track of me. I don't know the best way to keep track of me, but if you want to help me out, please follow anything Josh does by doing so. It will only trickle down to me eventually. (laughs) Okay. Yes.
3: I like this approach to life.
0: Mm -hmm.
4: All right. What about you, Wolfman?
3: Yeah. Follow me on Twitter at Icarus Arts. Just support everything I do, and it will eventually trickle down to everyone who knows me. And, um, (laughs) When in Winnipeg, uh, go uh, see a Guy in film and listen to Propaganda and the Weaker Thens.
4: And if you have any luck in your life, there is no When in Winnipeg in your scenario.
0: <laughs>
4: <laughs>
0: All right, well, let's uh, keep on trucking here with Horror Movie Podcast Episode 26, where I am joined again with Dr. Shock. Now we'll move into this week's feature review of Honeymoon.
2: Are you okay? I couldn't find you. I was
5: I'm fine.
2: How's my little zombie face this morning? I made a coffee. I could be humor.
5: What's going on with you?
2: You feel distant, different. Did something happen in the woods?
0: Okay, now, Doc, have you seen the trailers for Honeymoon? I have not. You know what's weird about this? Just as a little side note before we get started on it, there are actually, if you do a little research, there are a number of movies, um, some of them are thrillers, some of them seem to be horror, maybe a little bit, that are related to Honeymoon. So it, it almost says to me that people have had maybe not, not such good experiences on their honeymoons, right? <laughs> right? I mean,
1: yeah. Well, the one, I'm looking at it now. I just pulled it up on IMDb, and when I saw one called ha- "Haunted Honeymoon," mm-hmm. which uh, is that the there's one that's a comedy. It's I think like that a one is. comedy. I think that might be the one. Yeah, yeah
0: it is. But um, it, there are a number of them, and like you know, some of them are kind of obscure, or there's some indie films. But it's weird how many films there are out there about
1: yeah, honeymoons.
0: That- Interesting. <laughs> and, uh, and I'll have a story for you about that here. I actually got a couple <laughs> stories at the end of this review. But this Honeymoon is um, brand new, came out in 2014 here. It's directed by Lee Janiek. And it stars, you'll, you'll know these, I bet. It stars Rose Leslie of Game of Thrones and a good young okay. actor named Harry Treadaway, who used to be on that show Meadowlands back in the day.
1: Okay, well, I'm familiar with uh, Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. I'm not real familiar with uh, with the other show, but I, I do I do watch Game of Thrones, so
0: that's cool. Now, Now, here's what I want to tell you about this, first of all, is I haven't seen... Usually, I will only watch the teaser trailer or the first trailer released for something, so I haven't seen, even if there are any additional trailers, I don't know, but they have been... To my knowledge, they have been pretty good at preserving what this movie is really about. It it does fall under a horror subgenre, but I'm not going to spoil it at, at all either during this review. Honestly, Duck, it's not a huge deal, but it is um, a part of the mystery. This is one of those psychological horror movies, primarily, and almost the entire film is just one of those mystery type films, one that has you scratching your head. So, to speak. Okay. And so, I just want to tell people that right now. I mean, it kind of feels a little bit like um, a creepy drama, maybe is a good way to describe it. And it takes a long time before it starts ramping up the creepiness. But um, so, that's the first thing I want to tell you. And this movie is also mostly just a two hander because you got this young couple, they get married, they travel to a remote a cabin by a lake out in the woods of uh, Canada and um, one night the groom finds that his new bride has like wandered out into the woods at night by herself which you know if you're out in the woods in a cabin I mean you've done some camping in your day right
1: mm, no yes
0: okay I know right it's terrible I don't know that's
1: it's I have I have a definite I have a definite nightmare story about a, a camping trip I went on. But anyway, go ahead.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I bet I bet you everybody does. I don't even know why people do that. But anyways, yeah, it's super dark and it, he finds her that she's wandered out into the woods and she's just kind of kneeling down in the dirt alone. And, you know, it's one of those where he walks up behind her. That always creeps me out in horror mm. movies. Because you, yeah. never, you never approach a person, like, head on. You're always walking up behind them. And you never know quite what you're going to see. Um, anyway, pretty creepy. And th- this is the premise of the film that I'm telling you. She's never quite the same after that. And the honeymoon just kind of downward spirals and devolves into unpleasantness. Mm. Now, I know what you're thinking, Dave. You're That's probably crap. thinking it switches from being about their honeymoon to about being 10 years later in marriage. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, anyway, um, I'd I tell you, first thing I want to say is the performances in this are uh, pretty good. And I especially like that actor, um, Treadaway, Harry Treadaway. I think yeah. there's something about him. I bet you when you guys watch this film, the males out there that are listening, I bet you like really relate to him. He just seems like you. At least he seems a lot like me. Um, he's, just, he's just your average guy, you know, and 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 she does a good job too. She sells it. She really does. Um, this This looks like a very well-made indie film. Like the music and the dialogue in the beginning are kind of light, but they're not silly and dorky sounding. It's like indie sounding. So it's kind of like a higher scale indie film. And the couple is likable, and at the same time they're a little bit annoying as well, because you know you're you're kind of subjected to their you know they're on their honeymoon and they're super in love, and they're really happy at first, so
2: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> you know what I'm saying right, but anyway, um, I will say this is pretty mild for a horror film in in terms of its imagery and stuff, but um it does. It does ramp it up a little bit later and it gets even a little bit gross. And I want to say the ending, this has a, a pretty haunting ending. It's kind of freaky, especially if you think about it for very long. But the, the real strength of this movie, this is a Kyle Bishop movie. And I think the listeners will know what I mean. This is like, this is not for the Bill Shetty type of horror fan. This is for the uh-huh. Kyle Bishop type of horror fan because there are some themes in this that Kyle Bishop could write papers about. Because on the the surface, there's not a whole lot to it. But if you think about it, then it's really disturbing. And the the biggest theme is the idea of the person that you thought you married is not who the person is that you're married to. I said that terribly. (laughs) No, I understand what you're saying. Okay. Yeah, you don't recognize this person that you thought you married. And I know a lot of couples... You know, as people change, I've heard a lot of couples like say that kind of complaint to each other. Mm -hmm. So, if you're, you know, if you're looking at it from that perspective, or if you're, sadly, if you're listening to this podcast and you have like, I just suspect if you had like a turbulent marriage, there's something about this that might ring true or speak to you or something. I don't know, Um, but it's kind of interesting because the, the the way that they start distancing and not knowing each other because of this event, um, gets pretty unsettling, especially since it's basically just the two characters. Um, there are a couple other characters, but they're insignificant and it's just these two characters. And so, um, it, it's kind of unsettling, but anyway, I give it a 6.5 out of 10. I think it's well done. It's not a hardcore horror film, but it is creepy and I think it'll stick with you if you're into psychological horror. So I say rent it and that's honeymoon. What do you think, Doc? Is that up your yeah. alley?
1: I think I'd like to check that out. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sounds interesting. It is interesting. And um, you know, I was I was mentioning I had a couple of stories just real quick. My honeymoon was actually kind of scary too. And not and not for the reasons you'd think. We um we knew these people not super well, but they were acquaintances. They were wealthy. And um, they heard we were getting married and they have this lake house in Tennessee, this big house on the lake. And they invited us to have our honeymoon there at their lake house. And we're like, hey, you know, pretty much free lodging for the week of our honeymoon. So that's what my wife and I did. We went there and when they picked us up, I mean, the lady of the family, and I can say this all now because these people are totally nuts. And I have cut all ties with these people. And that's why if I seem like I'm ungrateful, we'll wait till you hear the story. Anyway, (laughs) she was an alcoholic and um, for one thing, and she was our ride from the airport to her house and she flew, like drove super fast. And I'm like, oh, great. It's my my wedding day and I'm going to get killed tonight in this car before we ever get (laughs) back to the, the honeymoon suite. And, um, these two people actually stayed in that house, which was also weird because you're having your honeymoon week, you know, and they're in the same house and, um, and they fought all the time and their room was right below our room. And so we could hear them screaming through the floor. And the longer we were there, the more unsettled we got. And we're like, these guys might be like axe murderers or something. And it was super (laughs) scary. So it was a, it was a weird honeymoon. Wow. And um so I can understand where all these horror honeymoon um movies come from I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, me too. I not my my honeymoon wasn't too bad. I actually went over to England Smart. Uh, for a couple of weeks uh, and that turned out to be uh, not too bad. Nice. But uh yeah, I'm not too big on going into the woods. And I think the horror movies have something to do with it. Yeah. You know, I, th- I think, because I remember when I being in Boy Scouts, and we were out camping one day, and all of a sudden, this whole group of people carrying torches, and I'm talking like the old, you know, the torches from the, from the old Universal movie, Storm in the Frankenstein Castle-type <laughs> torches, came walking down the path, like, towards our campsite, scared the hell out of all of us. I, we, we didn't know what was, it turned out it was just another troop going out on, on some sort of uh, expedition or something. But still, you see something like that coming towards you, it? and <laughs> it can be unsettling. But, man, for me, camping, I, it, was, and it was it was over Memorial Day week, the worst camping experience I ever had. It was over Memorial Day week, and it rained three solid days. I mean, the whole time. And I'm talking a driving rain. And when we first got there, it's the middle of the night. I'm not an experienced camper. All right, when I was in Boy Scouts, we got there, the, the tents were set up. Mm-hmm. You know, I never had to set these things up. Yeah. Everyone's sitting in the car while the the men are out setting up the tents. Okay, my father-in-law, within five minutes, he's got his tent like 80% up. My brother-in-law has got his 80% up. I'm sitting there, you know, thank you for purchasing this tent. You should have the following. I have no idea what I'm doing with this tent. Right. And I'm getting wet, and I'm just thinking, man, we should probably just sleep in there. I finally get the tent up. We're in there, like I said, a driving rain the whole time we were there. And this was going to be a Friday to Monday night. We were going to be staying there. And they're calling for rain the whole stinking time. But I will say the one interesting thing is we left early. Everyone left. It's like we're leaving on Sunday. and As we're packing up, the skies broke and it stopped raining and the sun came out. And My biggest fear was that people were going to say, let's stay the full time. That was my biggest fear. I just wanted to get the hell out of there at that point. I'm like, come on. And so we did end up leaving Sunday night. And Memorial Day of 2001 is when I bought my very first DVD player. That day that we would have been camping, I came home and I said, well, let me go on. And I went out and I ended up buying my very first DVD player. And I got my very first two DVDs at the same time. I started with just two. And they were the mummy the old, the Brendan Fraser movie, The Mummy. Oh yeah, and The Matrix. Nice. Were the first two DVDs that I ever bought. But so that's one. That was a nice way to end what what had been a nightmare. Yeah, at least of a, a weekend.
0: At least a happy ending. <laughs> at least it had
1: a very happy ending. Yes, <laughs>
0: that's funny. Let me tell you one other um, honeymoon story. That's um, this is still kind of. I, I don't think they've come up with the verdict on all this or the sentencing or whatever. I should have done a little more research. But um, this whole honeymoon movie reminded me of that really creepy story from the summer of 2013 when you had um, that guy in Montana, his name was Cody Johnson. They got married and he married his wife, Jordan, like eight days earlier and according to the reports or the court case, she was accused of pushing him off a 200-foot cliff to oh, his death. Geez. Yeah. Do you remember hearing about that story?
1: I, vaguely. You know what? I, I think I do. I don't. That was in 2013? Yes. mm-hmm. Wow. It doesn't seem like that long ago that I remember hearing her. but then again, time goes so quick anymore. It doesn't mean anything Yeah, interesting. So he, then did they ever, what was her motive for that?
0: Well, it, you know, according to her, it was like they were in an argument and they were kind of like um, pushing at each other or something. And it was just, she said it was like instinctive and she just kind of pushed him. He grabbed her arm or something. And then he put, she pushed at him is what she said. And he went off the cliff. Oh, wow. But, and it was bizarre, you know, and, you know, who knows? Because we, I don't think they've come down, like the latest news story I found on it was from December, 2013. So it's hard to tell what's going on with it. But, um, you know, it said that in her wedding videos and stuff, you know, she was crying and happy and tears of joy and all that. And so, you know, it just makes you wonder, did in those eight days, you know, did she find, did did she find out that? Is it kind of like this movie, Honeymoon? Did she find out that he wasn't the person he, that, she, that thought, she thought? or?
1: Yeah, and you got to wonder if, like, how long did they know each other? And mm-hmm. I mean, some people get married a little too quickly.
0: Yeah. Well, I've heard, I've heard a lot of stories along those lines where like um, a woman, there was in my neighborhood, there was a, a young woman who married a guy and he was he was a b c and d he said you know and then the day after they got married the very next day you know he was x y and z he was like a totally Uh different person so that so i think that this this film honeymoon has a little bit of relevance there beneath the surface and i think it's really interesting anyways okay doc i can't wait any longer i want to hear about this movie crawl or die
6: this is the last non-infected, fertile woman alive. You are her priority protection. She is your package. This package gets delivered. Some kind of tunnel.
1: We're going down there. All right. This is from 2014, Crawl or Die, uh, directed by uh, Oklahoma Ward, uh, starring uh, Nicole Alonzo. Ah, uh, Tori Byrne and uh, Tommy Ball. Um, this is a movie that I've been hearing a lot about, too, and it's been mostly on on Twitter.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah, I
1: mean, um the director uh, and the star, Nicole Alonso, have been doing this this massive Twitter campaign. And I'm thinking I think it's been going on for years. I remember this back when this movie used to be called Crawl, Bitch, Crawl. <laughs> right. Back in the day was the original title that this was going to be released under. Okay? Right. Yes. And I just remember seeing it was everywhere. <laughs> it was absolutely everywhere. And now it's an interesting thing because they did contact me and they did send me a free screener of it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I always feel a little bit uneasy about that getting the free screener. I mean, I definitely appreciated it because this is one I wanted to see. I've been hearing about it for so long. I was looking forward to seeing it. And, but it always puts me a little, uh, uh, I don't know, a little guarded because it's like, if, what if I don't like it? Yeah. You know, and then, and then, you, just, then you just don't feel right. Like I've, I've gotten screeners before of movies that I didn't care for. And what I do is I just don't write anything. Like I just sort of, I don't write anything about them. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's not the best way to approach it, but it's just something with me. I just don't when, when people like reach out and they're going to give you something for free like that. Um I I don't feel an obligation to give it a good review. Right. Of but by the same token, I feel like I feel like a bit of a heel trashing it. Um you know, and especially if it's like a free DVD. I mean, if it's just like a disc screen or whatever. I don't, think, I don't think twice about it. Um, but the fact that I'm talking about crawl or die <laughs> would lead you to believe that, that I do have some favorable things to say about it, and I definitely do. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, it's kind of interesting. The tagline is the only thing more terrifying than being trapped is being hunted. And the basic setup of this movie, okay, it's, it's, uh, it's set in an undetermined time in the future. Okay. Um, the Earth has been um, torn apart by a virus, and it's gotten so bad that mankind has built a settlement on another planet, which they've called Earth-2. Now, they, 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 what it is is this, this group of, uh, I guess they're mercenaries, are hired to deliver what is Earth's last fertile woman to Earth-2. Apparently, this virus sterilized
5: so kinda all the like, women. Kind like like of like children of men. Children
1: of men. Almost like children of men in a yeah. way, yes. So they found one last fertile woman and they're to deliver her to Earth Two. That's their mission. And they've got to get her there at any cost. But the minute they land on Earth Two, they're faced off they're facing off against this alien creature. Now, this alien creature resembles very strongly the alien from the alien franchise. Okay. There are some differences, but there are a lot of similarities
0: hmm. to that alien. Does that okay? Does that bother you?
1: It didn't. Interestingly enough, it didn't. And I thought maybe, you know, because you don't really see that at first. That's something that comes along later on, at which point, you know, and I'll get into that in a little bit, but it's, it's not something that, that is, uh, well, it's like you get glimpses of it, but you don't see the similarities right away. Yeah. Um, But anyway, this thing just, it's got a voracious appetite and just eats and eats and eats and it wants to eat, you know, these, it eats. It eats these people, and it's, it's chasing them, There's you know this whole squad. So what they have to do to get away from it, they head underground into this sort of tunnel system <laughs> or, uh, uh, that runs <laughs> under the ground to try to get away from it. They
0: obviously didn't um, see the alien movies.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they're in there. They don't know where this is going to lead, these tunnels. But this was, the, this was where they had to go to get away from this thing. It follows them down into there, obviously. So each time they make a turn could be a dead end. They don't know. They're going into this system without knowing anything about it with this hungry alien hot on their trail. Okay. One of the things about the movie that that caught me right off the bat is that it opens. The first minute is the firefight on Earth 2. OK, that's raging on. They're looking to escape. They go underground. The alien follows them down there. All of this is happening before you know anybody's name. This mm. is all carrying on. You're, you're seeing all of this. What I told you, the, the breakdown of Earth 2 and The Last Fertile Woman and all that, that is all delivered. I don't know if it's 10, 15 minutes into the movie. By way of a two to three minute flashback sequence of their commander running down their mission for them. Wow. And that's all it is. Other than that, it is nonstop action from start to finish. It's just (laughs) constant movement, constant running, constant battling, constant, you know, crawling through the tunnels. It is nonstop. Okay. It's a jarring at first. It's a little jarring at first because characters – are dying that you never know. You never knew who they were. You, you never knew their name. You never knew anything about them. It's just, boom, they're gone. Boom, this one's gone. Boom, that, you know, yeah. as it goes along. So these, it's, it's a little bit jarring at first. and it, It's a little bit unsettling because of, you know, I mean, people talk about movies that are wall-to-wall action. This one is wall-to-wall action, okay? This is like, nice. there is something going on start to finish. Other And that three-minute little flashback, that gives you everything you need to know. So that's not even downtime.
0: But do your eyes glaze over? Do you get bored in this? Well, you see, I thought I would. I thought that that
1: would be what would happen, okay? But we do start to get to know the people's names. And what happens is it actually pulls you into it once it gets down to those, this core group of survivors, it pulls you in, and you become invested in them trying to get through. The, te- the crawling through the tunnels becomes more tense. It becomes more constricted. Mm, okay. I mean, they get to a point where, like, the the man-made tunnels disappear, and then it's a dirt tunnel.
0: Oh, no. And
1: there's, like, hardly any room. I mean, if you're claustrophobic,
0: this movie is going
1: to give you nightmares.
0: Oh, this is one for Josh.
1: Yeah. I, this, this is one that, I mean, it gets that constricted. Um and I actually was sent, you know, I, I did put this up on the blog, and I was sent um, trivia by uh, the star, actually, Nicole Alonso, because I said, you know, there's nothing on IMDb. And I reached out to them. I said, if you can give me any sort of trivia, and I put my posts out on Twitter of trivia and so <laughs> forth. I said, if there's anything you could provide me nice. about the making of this movie. Well, one of the things she said was they were really filming. They, they were filming in these tunnels that they had made, and they were really that constricted. So it was like the stars and the cameraman crawling through these little tunnels while they were making it. All the while, you hear the sounds of this creature a little bit further away, a little bit closer. Then they move a different, it's a little further away again. Now it's closer again. Now they're going through tunnels where they can barely fit and it's getting closer. Now it's closer. So there's always that sort of lingering danger, okay,
0: so to take a little jab at Wolfman Josh and one sick puppy since they're not here, it sounds like as above, so below, but with actually something scary in it. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> well, it's definitely it definitely is is strong tension. Okay, cool. I mean, the tension in this movie is 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 very strong. And again, it's something that draws you in as it goes along. And for me, the turning point was a scene where um, one of the survivors, uh, it got, um, you know, the, the, they're set up at the end of a tunnel and they know this creature is coming. So they're set up a, a weapon to try to, you know, blow it away. And yeah. they're going to wait for it. Well, they're waiting and they're waiting and they all end up falling asleep.
5: Oh, so
2: no. We,
1: we have a scene where the camera, and the way they did it, <laughs> you see something fuzzy down the tunnel coming slowly toward them. Oh, and they're fast asleep. And oh. it's not making any noise. And it's coming closer and closer, slowly getting into focus. That's, I, f- I believe, I, I, and it's been a, a, like a few weeks since I've seen this, but I think that might be where you get your first full glimpse of the creature. And there are other times when you get, get it and you see just how much it is like the alien creature. Okay? Neat. But that scene for me, it's like, wow, this is like really, because you, you feel yourself saying, wake up. you know, like you, you feel yourself pulled in by the tension of this. And at that point, there's still another 45 minutes to go. Oh, neat. And, and it's, just, it's just, you know, you're really getting this like, oh, my God, what are they going to do now? Because now they're, they get stuck in the tunnels. <laughs> you know, you got all of these different things that they're dealing with. And there really is nothing other than the crawling, the getting away from the monster. And yet, you get wrapped up in, in the tension of it all. And like I said, at the beginning, there's a lot of characters. Not a lot, but there's more Then you could, you know, all of a sudden pick up who their names are and everything. And there's no way of predicting who's going to make it, who's not going to make it.
5: That's good. If
1: anybody's going to survive at the end. You know, this is not a movie that sets out to say, um, you know, that that sets out with any goal as to, okay, well, they're here to protect this one. They're bringing this one along, blah, 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 blah. Um, It just lets it play out. Okay. Yeah. Now, it's not I wouldn't say it's an excessively gory movie. There are a couple scenes, especially later in the film as the creature gets closer and closer to people. Mhm. Um, but what this is, is 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 it's very tense. Okay. And it does pull you in. Yeah. All right. It does pull you into the story. Um, so I'm pulled I was actually, in. yeah, I was I was really um, pleasantly surprised. You know, because it there really is not. Uh, this is a movie that you know people are like. Oh, you know, um, it's it's boring. I mean, you Jay. I mean, you you know, I, I would be well, interested. You say you say, well, for the first minute and a half, nothing happened. <laughs> because I and, and I don't even know if you could say that with this movie. I mean, it might be the credits no. that you can say that for. Okay. But other than that, this is something happening all the time, and and I was very uh, pleasantly surprised with it. You know, it's one of those movies that. After hearing about for a year and a half, you think to yourself it can't live up yeah to to what you want it to be or what it's being told what you're being told it is um but this one i was I was pleasantly surprised I would actually give it i'm gonna give it a seven point five i'm was thinking of an eight, but I'm gonna give it a seven point five okay, and I think it's one definitely worth renting, definitely worth checking out but I don't even know if – I've actually watched it twice.
0: Okay, cool. And
1: I actually liked it a little better the second time, Huh. which in a movie where the surprises are gone, you wouldn't think would be the case. But I actually found myself even more drawn into it the second time. And I liked it the first time, but even on the second time, I was even more drawn into it. What, even, even with knowing what was going on.
0: Why do you think that is, that it got better with a rewatch?
1: See, I'm not 100% sure why it got better with a rewatch. You mm. would think the opposite would be true, because you know the twists and the turns. But I think it was just admiring it for, for more of, of, what it, of what it was doing. This was a movie that's just like, boom, we're throwing you in. You catch up if you can. We'll give you three minutes of what's going on here, but even in that three minutes, you don't know anybody's name. He doesn't address anybody individually. He walks in, gives the mission, and boom. Then they're back to modern day uh, or, or to like current dealing with the situation again. Yeah, you know. So it's I, I just think I I think it was more like admiring for it for what it was doing, and still realizing just how. I mean, it, it gets so cramped in those. I mean, really, if you do have claustrophobia, this could be a tough movie to watch.
0: How does it, how would you say it compares to something like The Descent, which we love?
1: Well, it's, it's, it's different. It's mm-hmm. a different movie than The Descent. The Descent set out to establish characters at the beginning, okay? Did a great job at it, mm-hmm. but it's, it set up relationships, it set up characters. It set up things that were going to play into the movie later on. Okay? Okay. Now, the claustrophobic feeling, like they were getting in The Descent when they were when they didn't know where they were. When they ended up, you know, because they were in a tunnel, they didn't know where they were. And they didn't know if they were ever going to get out of there. And they're crawling and they're getting stuck. Okay? Yeah. That, you get some of that feeling in this movie, too. Okay? Then, obviously, something else happens in The Descent. I don't know if we want to go how far we want to go into that. The Descent's like one of my favorite horror movies of the new millennium so far. I absolutely love that movie. Yeah,
0: it's in my top 10 of all time, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's so good. Um, But the relationships that they established at the beginning of the movie mean a lot as that movie progresses. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. this movie's not as as interested in that. Now, and like I said, at first it makes you a little distant from the characters. Mm Mm-hmm. But as it goes on, you become drawn in. And as I said, as it becomes a narrower, mar- a narrower group of people, you know, instead of like the whole battalion, the whole platoon, it's narrower and you're dealing with a handful of survivors at one point, then you're really drawn in. And they do try different things to, to and it keeps you engaged. I mean, in a movie about just crawling through tunnels and escaping an alien, you'd think, like you said, you'd think maybe you'd get a little old after a while, but it kept me engaged. I was into it.
0: <laughs> that's great. Well, I'm, I'm sold on this. I really want to see it. So how do people track this down?
1: I know it is on demand. I don't know if it's on Netflix, to be honest
0: with you. Yeah, I didn't but see it I, on there, actually.
1: Because it was released on demand at the same time it was released on uh, DVD. Okay. And interestingly enough, from what I'm seeing on, and again, this is just what I'm seeing on Twitter, but this is uh, something of a, of a minor hit in... Um, in Japan, mm-hmm. of all places, they seem to have taken to this movie over there.
0: While you're looking that up, I got one more question for you about yeah. this. So, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, and I haven't put my finger on this yet, but um, I don't love action horror because I, I just think that there's something about action horror that bugs me. It's like, I don't love it, you know? So, and by action horror, I mean, I would call something like I, Frankenstein... That's barely horror, but you know, something along the, let's see, what was the Abraham Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln, zombie, no, vampire hunter. Uh,
1: vampire hunter. Yes. I yeah. know what you're saying. Yes. Yeah, so that the, did have quite a bit of action in it. Now I will say that other than the fight scenes at the beginning, mm-hmm. you're looking at more tension than action.
5: Okay, good. Yes,
1: there are fights. Yes, there are fights, but it's mostly like trying to, trying to crawl and get out of these tunnels and escape this alien.
5: Okay, yeah, because they're
1: doing what they can to get to, to get away from it. Yes, and they'll shoot at it every now and again, and so forth. But I would think more along the lines of the movie Aliens, as far as like the gunfights with the alien, nice. than anything like Abraham Lincoln Vampire Slayer.
0: That's really refreshing. That's good to hear because, yeah, like for example, this Dracula Untold thing. I'm not looking forward to. That.
1: Uh, I tell you what, I'm. Yeah, I, it just doesn't, it's just another one of those, of those things. And you know what, now, I, th- I heard that Universal is going to try to relaunch their, their classic monsters and almost make it like a franchise, you know, like the Avengers and, and the Marvels have made it almost like a group of movies.
5: Mm, okay. I'd heard
1: somewhere where Universal is bringing back their classic monsters and they would like to do the same thing. Now, but how are they going to do it? Y- you know, are they going to do it in the I Frankenstein, this new Dracula
0: which oh, you're I have saying, no interest in. You're saying like um total, like a reboot of those. You're saying they're going to remake and, and them. They're not going to.
1: like Well, almost making them like, and I got, I've only heard this on a couple podcasts. All right. So I haven't done a lot of research into it. Okay. Okay. But that they're going to be redoing the classic monsters, maybe on their own movies. And then they're going to have movies where they're together, mm. making it like a series of things. Okay. You know, which happened in the old one. I mean, in the old one, you had Frankenstein and the Wolfman. Yeah. Um. You know, as a guy later in the series, you'd have, even before Abbott and Costello, you'd have, you know, Dracula, Frankenstein, and this monster and the Wolfman all together. I keep saying Frankenstein, but it's Frankenstein's monster. I always make that mistake. Yeah. Yeah. We know uh, what you all mean. together. So, from what I understand, they're going to go that route. But to try to do it for a modern audience, <laughs> and are they going to look at, like, I don't know. It, like, is it going to be like I, Frankenstein? I have no interest in I, Frankenstein and I've never watched it. I just don't care. Yeah. I just don't care. The trailer didn't make me give a damn to see that movie. <laughs> right. And I'm thinking from the posters I've seen for this new Dracula, it doesn't look a whole lot better.
0: Mm-mm. No. You know? No.
1: So, I, okay. Well, anyway, real quick, um, you can actually download *Crawler* Die on iTunes. Okay. They do have it on iTunes. They do have it on Amazon streaming, or do they? Wait, wait. Well, I might be talking a little.
0: Cause I didn't, I didn't see it on serious. there.
1: Maybe not. No, maybe that's just the DVD. Okay. Okay, they just have the DVD available there. Mm-hmm. Well, they do have it on iTunes. Okay. So you, if you wanted to see it, you could download it on uh, if you ha- if anybody has iTunes out there.
0: I bet you could find it at Walmart, actually.
1: Oh, yeah, you can. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I was watching some of these videos on YouTube, um, like DVD Tuesday. People go out shopping, looking for movies, and they'll take their camera along with them. Cool dudeer, and I can't remember the guy's real name now. He was the one in that movie I did, The Treasure Chest of oh, Horrors. Yes, yes. That, that guy, Sean, Sean okay. C. Phillips, okay?
5: Yeah.
1: I, I like watching his videos when he goes out and does his shopping. He was in a Walmart, and he actually came across Crawler Die sitting on a shelf there Sweet. on the, the day it
0: was released. So, yes, go.
1: I think he probably could find it so, in Walmart.
0: So people can get this readily. I mean, this isn't it's just, just
1: – it's, it's out there. Yes, yeah. it, it's out there. And I enjoyed it. I really did. I uh, was pleasantly surprised with the movie.
0: Well, good. Well, I'm glad you covered it for us because I've been really curious about that.
1: I'm sure you've been hearing about it. I mean, you're on Twitter, too. So I'm sure you've been hearing about
0: mm-hmm.
5: it. I sure as have. As
1: long as it's just been everywhere. Yeah. And of course, now, uh, uh, Nicole Alonso, she's, a, uh, I would say, would be an attractive woman. Yes. Uh, <laughs> of course, she t- she sheds a little bit of her clothing, Not never gets... Exposed, never like naked, but she definitely gets down to like the short shorts and the <laughs> and the, the sort of tighter top as she's crawling through the tunnels. Which at least you know it makes it a little interesting as well. Um, but yeah, I definitely would think people should uh, should at least rent it and uh, and and check it out. Okay, interesting. What other other people say too, because you know it might just be I can see other people not warming up to it as much hmm. for me. But you know it depends on on how. I did not get tired with the tension as it was going from, from, like through the, with the movie. I found it more engaging as it went on.
0: Yeah. Okay. I could
1: see some people having an opposite reaction because it is nonstop. It is you. just boom, start to finish.
0: Okay. Well, Dr. Shock says crawl or die. from 2014 is a 7.5 out of 10. And he says rent it. All right, buddy. Well, thanks for that. And now I think it's time for some beastly freaks. You ready for this? Yes. I've been dying to tell you guys about this. Jay of the Dead's Beastly Freaks. All right, this is a Beastly Freaks recommendation this time around, and this film is from 2014 and is called Killer Mermaid. <laughs> I cannot say that without laughing. That's just hilarious to me. Just know
6: that we're lost and we need to find the others.
0: I told you not to come here.
6: All these people are missing.
2: I knew there was something wrong with that island. There's a darkness hidden beneath it. What the hell was that thing? An ancient, forgotten creature of the sea. A monster that must die. She's here.
0: I'm the film critic on this radio show in California, they call me, and um, I give them reviews of stuff, and I'm like... (laughs) it's like this somewhat conservative audience and i'm like hey guys for halloween you got to check out killer mermaid and they just thought i was nuts but this is a blast this is a little guilty pleasure horror flick that comes out of serbia interestingly enough um yeah that's really neat now the
1: so i just saw a name in the cast that really caught my eye here
0: (laughs) oh yeah okay who is it
1: Franco Nero, man. Django. Yes. The original Django is in this movie.
0: Yes, he sure is. Yeah. Excellent catch there, Doc. I'm impressed. You never cease to amaze me. That's exactly right. So this is Killer Mermaid on IMDb. It's called Nymph. Okay. But the official title on the title card screen is Killer Mermaid, which I think is a perfect title for a horror movie. It says it all. Now, here's what's cool. It it was filmed in Serbia, but they shoot it in English. So, it's obviously intended for an English-speaking audience. So, I don't know about the other language versions, obviously. So, I don't want to just sound like an ethnocentric person where every film should be in English. But it was just interesting to me that it's shot in Serbia and it's in English and everything. And because of the location, though, I mean, this film, it looks beautiful and the location's that they use are tremendous, super interesting and everything. And so for those who are familiar with the seafaring folklore among mariners about sirens and the Lorelei and even sometimes mermaids, uh, they use their beautiful voices. They have a, like a mystical, magical um, power to lure sailors to their deaths so they can eat them, right? And so this movie kind of takes that premise and runs with it. You've got a killer mermaid. So on one hand, it is a beastly freak movie, but also this is a slasher film, Doctor Shock. Really? Yeah, because you've got a you've got a a killer in here who is killing off people with um this. It's kind of like an anchor it looks i'll tell you what it looks like it looks exactly like the 1960s batman grappling hook (laughs) so oh boy and it's attached to a chain so it's either like some kind of a harpoon type weapon that that's launched out of a boat or something or it's an anchor but it's got sharp spikes on it you know which he uses uh, effectively and so um so this movie instead of calling it Splash. It could have been called Slash. Do you get that? No, I'm just kidding. So no, yeah. it it is a slasher first, a beastly freak second. <laughs> but I liked what Dread Central said, and I think this is really um funny, even if it's not totally accurate. They they said it's I know what you did last summer meets Splash. That's no,
1: funny because I was thinking I knew when you were talking about like the grappling hook and the killer and everything, I was thinking I know what you did last summer.
0: Yeah, because he is kind of a, a sailor mariner type of guy. So it is kind of like Corton's <laughs> fish sticks all over again. But honestly, I don't think that's totally accurate because this isn't anything like Splash because the mermaid in Splash is benevolent and uh-huh. this mermaid is malevolent <laughs>
1: Yeah, I would right. think so. She doesn't. She doesn't sing about uh, wanting to be up on the up on the. Uh, or, God, what am I thinking? The Little Mermaid. I can't even remember what the hell the name of that song is.
0: But <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, it's it's totally and and you know what they do is they they also try to like um, draw upon um, Jaws too. They have some Jaws esque music in the soundtrack, and so um, there's that. But I, I want to talk about The Mermaid first of all, because in A Beastly Freak, everybody knows that, you know, for me, it's all about story and premise. And then if it's A Beastly Freak, it's all about the look of the creature. And The Mermaid is tremendous. I actually really like her. Um, you know, when she's in her mermaid form, um, she's quite beautiful. They, the actress they cast is a gorgeous lady, of course. And then, um, <laughs> and I will say, they CGI her tail, Okay. And it's obviously CGI. I'm not saying it's bad CGI because it's pretty decent, but it's it's pretty obvious that it's CGI, but I don't care. And what I like is, you know how usually in a depiction of a mermaid, you know, once you get down to the tail area, it's kind of like scaly uh-huh. or a different color, like green or blue or something. Um, well, she's like flesh toned. Like even her tail kind of looks like fleshy. And that's extra creepy to me for some reason. And actually the 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 design of her tail, like the fin, the big fin, is uh-huh. is like evil looking. Which is super awesome to me. But um she does reveal her true appearance. I guess mermaids, maybe in the legend, they don't really go into it in the film, but I think they can appear beautiful. But then when you see what they really look like, they're like a, a sea monster, basically. And when you see her appearance, it's a little bit jarring because it is kind of scary, but at the same time, I don't love the creature design of the mouth area. Um she kind of looks like something off of um um Silent Hill or Beetlejuice. <laughs> like
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, I know what you mean.
0: Yeah, so there's something like Are you
1: thinking like when Beetlejuice became the big worm? Is that what you're thinking? And um that sort of mouth? Well there's kind
0: of like this big beak. It's like a duck bill Oh, with, I see what you're saying. Sh- okay. Sharp teeth. It just kind of reminds me of Silent Hill. Um, there's something about that imagery. But anyway, um, she's still creepy when that happens. So I, I'm very happy with the look of the mermaid. There's not a lot of underwater camera work. But the the shots that are done underwater are tremendous. They look perfect. So that's beautiful. So this is, even though, I don't know what the budget was on this film. But it looks good. It looks like a top-notch film. It's like... Um, Serbia took their budget for cinema that year and maybe put a lot of it into this. I don't know what their budget is. I don't, I don't, I'm not familiar with a ton of films out of Serbia, to be honest with you. But, um, I, I will say as far as the violence though, doc, like it shows slasher violence and, and really the slasher killer is most of this movie. There's very little mermaid violence and it doesn't even show it. It's only aftermath. I think they were worried about depicting a mermaid attack. And so, like, when, okay. you, when you look at the cover art of this, you know, it gives you the impression of, like, Jaws. It's, like, daytime, and there's a woman running in the water. And um, there's no scene in this movie like this that's on the cover. So, Okay. I guess that's kind of unfortunate. But anyway, the, the premise of this is you've got... um. A couple American girls who travel to uh, Serbia to meet up with an old college flame, this guy who lives there. And he's going to show them the sights and show them a good time. They're going to do a lot of partying and stuff. So it's that usual setup. And then um, there is a, they're right there on the coast. And there is this island that's kind of like Alcatraz a little bit that used to be like a Nazi concentration camp prison so you've got nazism or nazism however that word is you've also got that kind of rolled into this as well interesting weird right the thing that i i guess i had the most problem with is the the second act is really long and it kind of drags and i just spend a lot of time with this slasher killer well he's not aside from his his killing implement that instrument he uses he's not all that interesting because He's just this old guy, right? It's not Uh like he has a cool mask or anything. So, you know, he's not super intriguing. And so I think they got caught up with, hey, we get this cool location. Let's get a lot of shots here. And it's almost like they spend too much time running around this neat location where they're shooting. And it kind of makes the movie drag big time in the middle. Uh But even so, I I do... I have to say, I love this movie, and the weird thing here, doc, is I can't understand why my um my rating is only a six point five out of ten, which is still a good, strong rating for me at least This is a definite rental i I feel like I love it more than a six point mm-hmm. <laughs> like this is probably um in the in the buy it range for me just because it's a cool beastly freak I mean how many times do you get a a killer mermaid movie right that's yes. also a slicer film. That's,
1: I don't know of any, to be
0: honest with you. Yeah, so, I mean, I, you know,
1: I'm... I mean, I like the whole idea, the whole sort of Jaws concept of there's something under the water chasing you. Mm-hmm. And you're, you, don't know, you don't know where or what. Um, you just know that it's there. Brain. Right. You know, like, if you go back even to The Creature from the Black Lagoon, one of the creepiest scenes in that movie was the underwater photography of the girl swimming and the creature swimming on his back, like maybe five feet below, just watching her. Yeah. You know, and just watching her swim, not doing anything, not going to attack her, just watching her.
0: Yeah, that's freaky.
1: Because you've no idea that this thing is under there. And I think that's one of the things that appeals to me the most about these kind of movies. You think of the first scene of Jaws, where the girl's just pulled under. She's out there swimming, no idea something's coming for her. And I like that setup in, in these kind of movies. I mean, even something like as sort of, sort of B-movie as the original Piranha mm-hmm. has that, and I think it's effective there as well. It's just that, that un, you don't know what's under the water coming, coming at you, if there's anything under there. Well, and I can see now now does this it sounds to me like this is more of the slasher though than it is It is. The mermaid, not does are there any scenes like that?
0: No, unfortunately, I'm sorry to disappoint you cuz that I like what you're saying and I wish that were the case. This is about 70% slasher, 30% killer mermaid. Okay. And the way she lures people, I'm glad you brought this up. She doesn't like um swim under the water and attack people generally. I mean, the, there's um one scene that's along those lines, but it's not like preying upon people like Jaws does. She usually uses her her song to lure males.
1: I and you did mention that too. Okay, yeah. yeah, that that she that she lures them as opposed to chasing them down. Okay,
0: but I'll, I'll give you um I got a little clip here because I think the 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 song they did a tremendous job with this song because it's like, well, how would you depict A mermaid song, you know, that's like hypnotic and all that stuff. And I really think they nail it here. So as you can hear, it's kind of almost, like
1: almost a whale like in a way, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it's a mix between it's a little bit sensual, it's a little bit whale sounding. It's really kind of creepy and unsettling and I mean I
1: could I could sorta of hear it. I couldn't hear it that clearly. Yeah. I could sorta of hear it. And the sound, I could hear like sort of the whale sounds in
0: there, but Yeah, it's it's super cool. I'm gonna blow up a better version there in okay. the sound editing for the listeners so they can get a sense of it. But All right. But this is a super cool movie. Honestly, this is, um maybe I'll call this a must-see rental. How about that? Because, yeah, this is for a lot of people who aren't nuts about beastly freaks like I am. I'm a slasher guy, too. So for a lot of people, this is probably like a one-time watch. For me, this is one of those movies that's fun to talk about at parties. This is fun to, like, if somebody asks you if you watched any good movies lately say i saw killer mermaid you know and you can talk about it like it's it's a bragging rights kind of almost
1: like almost what sharknado was in a way
0: exactly yeah except this is like way better than that um production values and the uh, all around on every front this is better than sharknado okay so Killer mermaid 6.5 out of 10 must-see rental beastly freak slasher you will love it. Okay, Dr. Shock. Now I'm, I'm dying to hear about this documentary you got here.
1: Okay, this is one I just watched today for the first time. Um, it's from 2005. And this is called Horror Business. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually starts off with a quote. Uh, it has Orson Welles talking in an interview. Nice. And he's talking about what it's like to make a movie. And he says, um, you know, and then the, the sort of the title comes up at this part. He goes, "It's two percent movie making and ninety-eight percent hustling.
0: <laughs> it's no way
1: to spend a life." Yeah. And I remember, you know, for poor Orson Welles, that was kind of true. When you think of what that guy went through after Citizen Game. Oh yeah. What what he went through, the fact that we still have movies like. Um, well 80% of the magnificent ambersons 90% of the magnificent ambersons I should say plus like touch of evil and things like that it's pretty amazing that we even uh ended up with those kind of movies from him when considering that the
0: the studios just wouldn't let him do anything well and let's okay. be honest he brought on a lot of that himself
1: oh he did there's no, there's no <laughs> doubt about it there's no doubt about it you know you read uh you read interviews with the guy he really does come across he's one of the few guys who can come across as humble while he's bragging
2: right, right.
1: you know he, he had a he had a real talent for that yeah um i always i love listening to the guy talk to be honest with you though
5: yeah he's awesome there's
1: just some, something about him when, when he's when he's giving interviews and so i have a dvd of an interview he gave actually it's just nothing but 45 minutes of him talking about movies and it's fascinating stuff it really is uh anyway for horror business um it was it's a, it was a 2 year project by this director Christopher Garitano and what he did was he traveled around the country to several areas where independent horror filmmakers were making their movies and he sort of tagged along in a way he interviewed them talked to them about what it why do they do what they do um you know cuz it's not the money obviously why why do the what is it about the, the draw of this why are, do they love horror so much and he would be on the set while they were making their movie. Some cases being there when the movie was completed, you know, when it was they're putting the finishing touches on it. Um, and he went around. Now, some of the people he followed uh, was uh, Mark Borchard.
0: I was I was just going to yes. ask you if he was in this. <laughs> he was in
1: this movie. It's several years after American movie.
0: Oh man, he was
1: making his newest film. Scare me. Nice. Okay, so he's interviewed. They follow him. You sort of see him going through the whole process. He's now, he was, but in 2005, he was married with four kids mm-hmm. at this point. Um, and his, but his mother was, he goes, my, she won't want to admit it, minute, but my mother's the executive producer. Because obviously his mom was putting up all the money <laughs> for, for him to make this film.
2: Yes, okay. Yes.
1: Um, but yes, he's in this, the guy from American movie. I love it. Um, there's a few other ones. Ron Atkins, this guy out of uh, Las Vegas. Cool. Uh, really sort of a... Um, uh an abrasive personality he's already, he plays he plays guitar um you know he's he's a musician a uh, rock musician um but you know he he makes very sort of violent these visceral shocking sort of films um very independent very low budget i mean all these movies i mean you know what what coven was like in right. american movie <laughs> very low budget yeah that's the type of movies that these uh, filmmakers are making, but there was one very interesting one. This guy David uh, Stagnari, I think is his name, uh, put he was out in New York and he puts together this one called Catharsis. It's a black and white, almost like an art house type movie, but it's looks really well put together.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: it's a short film; it's not a feature length. Um, but he's another one that they followed. Now, what they do in addition to that, in addition to going around to all these and interviewing them and talking to them about. You know, this is, you know, they go through hell to make these movies. Why do they do it? And they all say the same thing they love horror, they grew up on horror. Um, David Stagnani, as a matter of fact, the, um, the uh, drive in he used to go to as a kid, where, where he said he remembered they were doing like, uh, he says at one point, he, you know, uh, the Warwick drive in. He said, you know, they, they have a double feature of Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead. He goes, for, the, for me personally, I can't imagine a 17-year-old kid seeing that on a, the marquee and not wanting to go in and see them.
0: Seriously, yeah.
1: You know, he's like, the, I can't imagine that. He goes, even if you're not big into the movies, it's like an experience or whatever. He goes, I, he goes because, because he grew up loving these movies. And you see him like, um, holding like, uh, like a poster for Maniac. Um, and all the sort of movies that influenced him when he when he was growing up, because that's what this movie does, too. Along with giving you the modern day independent horror scene, it does step back and at least acknowledge and pay tribute to the history of the cinema and, and with these movies. And it shows clips from Nosferatu, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Zombie. You um, they uh, you, you hear a lot of people like they they talk to Herschel Gordon-Lewis.
0: Nice.
1: Uh, Lloyd Kaufman, Joe Bob Briggs, they all offer advice to like would-be directors. <clears throat> and, yeah. and it's funny. Uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis's advice is: make a movie to entertain the audience. Don't make a personal movie. Don't do. You know, he goes. Your number one goal of a filmmaker is to entertain the audience. If it's not, it's total ego. Hmm. So that was like his advice. Whether you agree with it or not, that was his advice. That's neat. Um, and they, they visit a, a convention where uh, Sid Haig is at this convention and he talks to them a little bit. He's, his advice was keep going, you know, don't stop. Um, and they, like I said, they go to the war with drive in. Uh, so really the movie acknowledges the, the, the history of the genre and even talks to some people, at this convention. And it's funny cause he said, what's your favorite horror movie and they show five people right in a row boom 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 all say texas chainsaw massacre And one of the one of the guys who says it is from tokyo and they (laughs) said what's your favorite scene and he actually acts it out the um he can speak english but he acts it out the dragging in of the body the slamming of the door oh (laughs) yeah he's like he's like acting that scene out um they've got a lot of those type of things they visit the convention they visit people some of the vendors at the convention um, uh, with, with what they're doing and why they're big into heart. You know, the one kid said, all my friends were big into the baseball players. My biggest heroes growing up were Bela Lugosi and Boris Karloff.
2: <laughs> cool.
1: You know, so it it, it it really is almost like, in a way, a love letter to the genre. Yeah. But it takes you to where the independent scene is. And it shows you where this is where the people – who loved the genre, what it showed me more than anything is, you know, you always get the feeling when you watch a movie that the person making the movie thinks of themselves as the next Spielberg, the next George Romero, the next whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In reality, the people that they talk to in this movie, they have no interest in being the next anything. They're making these movies because they love to horror. they love to make movies. Yeah. That's why they're doing it. They're not they they are not totally out of, you know, they're not out of touch with reality. They know they're not going to become millionaires doing this. They've accepted that by this point.
0: Well, that's you know what's interesting about that um when, like when we review movies, especially like indie films and you were talking about how how sticky it can get um sometimes when you review a film and somebody sent that to you and especially after knowing Wolfman Josh and hearing about his travels in the filmmaking world it's like yeah like people are putting a lot on the line sometimes everything on the line and they're trying to feed their family with what they make off this movie so you know i i i take it very seriously and try not to be too smug as a film critic um but i i will say that sometimes you can tell when there's like real heart in these films yeah i mean just like what what was it um this is in our previous episode, we were on bi-weekly and we're recording all these Halloween episodes. So I don't know where anything right. is, but, um, <laughs> sacrament that one. I mean, I really felt like that filmmaker, um, was a genuine horror fan and you could see it in his face. Yes.
1: I agree. I agree. And, and, and you know what, the, the, it makes it more appealing being a horror fan, you know, we're us being horror fans ourselves. Mm-hmm. It makes it more appealing. Yeah. Now it, what's really interesting is the ones that they're looking at in this are people who have their own voice. They're not out to copy anybody. They want to make horror, but they're doing it sort of on their terms. Um, you know, especially the guy, uh, Ron Atkins, right out of Las Vegas. Vegas. I mean, he's definitely doing that. Yeah. Uh, what did I say? Did I say Vegas?
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, he's definitely doing it. On his own, his movie was the one he was making at the time. It was called "The Sins of Government." He was making it with somebody who was actually a, cons- a conspiracy theorist, and who believed that members of the government were- had been replaced by these reptil- reptilian aliens, oh. and that the origins of Dracula are actually uh, these reptilians. Uh, very bizarre stuff. <laughs> wow. But you know, and they're making a horror movie around that, almost like a horror docudrama type thing. Cool um and that was that that's called the sins of government is what the movie that ron Atkins was making this is back in 2005 so some of these may be available um you know mark borchard scare me um i really would like to see that black and white short catharsis mm-hmm. I wonder, i'm wondering i haven't checked youtube yet but you know because i just watched this but i'd really like to see that one uh the guy who made that again is david stagnari Okay. Uh, but this guy's really in, into horror. And it's interesting, too, because, you know, Jay, they do something I know you had talked about, is they tie, like, what has been happening in the world in with, with horror and, and where it's progressed. They actually show clips of 9-11 yeah. in this movie. Yeah. And David Segnor is talking for a point. He goes, you know, I thought with 9-11, people would start taking things a little more seriously. You know, he looks at the movies with it. I mean, a lot of these people have a complete disdain for where the studios have taken horror, where it's remakes, remakes, remakes. It's interesting because at one point they're putting up all the remakes. You know, it's like this one remade in 2003, Dawn of the Dead remade 2004. Then they put Friday the 13th with a question mark. More they like, the guy says, Do you think they'll remake that? Who knows? And this again was 2005,
5: yeah. And,
1: and obviously, they did remake <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Friday the 13th, yes, they did. Um, yeah. so it's like this is not people who are looking to get into the big time horror, you know, studio sort of uh realm, uh, it, they're not looking to, to break into that. They like what they're doing. They want to make movie they want to make movies and they want to make money doing it the way they want to do it. Right. You know, one guy, and it's interesting, the one guy, Ron Atkins, the really visceral guy who makes these violent, far out movies, the guy he respects the most and the one who he bases his career after is Stanley Kubrick. Huh. Because Stanley Kubrick was a guy who did what he wanted. He made the movies he wanted, he made them the way he wanted, he made them in his own pace. He did not answer to the studios. And that's where, that's the guy he respects.
5: Yeah, yeah. So
1: that's what really thought about with this movie, what really pulls you in is they're not all looking to be the next George Romero, the next Spielberg, those type of things. They just want to make money doing what they want to do.
0: Yeah, well, you can't fault them for that, right?
1: No, not not at all. And it's (laughs) not even like they're looking to become millionaires. I think they all realize that that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. But they're just looking to make a living, to make money so that they can survive. Yeah. And again, it's almost like, who was it? I think it was uh, in the documentary that, that Martin Scorsese put out uh, for, of American film. I think he said it was Frank Capper who said, you know, movies are like, uh, like a drug, like heroin. And he goes, and, and the only antidote is, is more, like heroin is more movies. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like film gets into your blood system and it takes over.
0: Yeah. That's,
1: and that's what's happened with with these filmmakers.
0: I resemble that myself. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and and so do you. I know absolutely,
1: absolutely. You. Yep. So and, and and that's what for me was the most interesting thing about uh, this documentary. Plus, it's it is very well put together. Okay, it's it's a very well it's it's a very interesting documentary. Even though there's a lot of like Talking Head, not a lot, but there's some Talking Head interviews mixed in with the clips of the making of the of the of the movies. Um, with some of them, there's one guy who was doing special effects. I can't, I, di- I didn't write down his name, but they were impressive. <laughs> this, guy was, this guy was doing like studio quality stuff w- and, and out of a basement.
5: Nice. Okay. I mean, it was
1: really, really impressive. So
5: uh.
1: I would give this an 8.5.
5: Oh, excellent. Okay. And
1: I definitely think it's, um, it's worth checking out. Okay. Um, you know, Rental. I would,
5: then? I
2: would,
1: you know what, I, I would say buy this one. I can see people watching it again. So I would go so far as to say to, to to buy this
4: one.
0: Yeah, this sounds like a film that would be a real strength to um, people w- working in the industry, like aspiring horror filmmakers. Yes, you know, industry workers. I think that. Um from what you've described here it just sounds like it would be really inspiring.
1: It, it I would think so. Definitely. I could definitely see people um taking some of this and and just hearing what these other people have to say. You yeah. know that that there that you can make a living without having to get in with a studio or something, you know, or or to or to, to get it to to the point where um you know you could you can make a living without make, becoming a millionaire
0: <laughs> in some you know? ways yeah, well in in some ways, it almost sounds like an unofficial sequel to American movie, you know, the one we were talking about with M- M- Mark Borchard, and by yes. the way, for horror fans out there that's that's a documentary you know about a guy who wants to make a horror movie
1: it is real hard horror-
0: real it, it's- bad.
1: Yes, and it's so good. And the the thing that always I I just I, it's such a good movie. I mean, I remember seeing American movie. It's been a while now, but what really sticks with me is, is the, um, I think it was his uncle who had given him the money, and he actually mm-hmm. appeared in the scene. And they're shooting the scene over and over and over again with the uncle. All he's doing is driving in a car, mm-hmm. and the uncle gets so up so. Like, like the guy was just sort of mild mannered, but because they're pushing him and they keep redoing the scene, he he gets so annoyed. Yeah, that he actually like loses his temper.
0: Right, right. That's, there are a, there are a lot of like poignant moments in that American movie, so I just wanted to recommend that too. Yeah, I would I mean, if,
1: recommend it as well. I would if, actually say watch that one first.
0: Yeah, because if people are sounding like if, if what you you described there with horror business, if that's appealing to people, yeah, I think you should definitely watch American Movie and watch that first because that guy is dedicated. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's, I mean, the American Movie is like a nine to me.
1: Yeah, it's, it's up there for me too. Like I said, it's been a while since I've seen it, but... I really like that movie.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you're saying
1: and I, even wanted, I even wanted to see that the the Coven movie, and I did end up seeing it. And you know, obviously, it's it's very low budget, right? You know, and it's but you, like you said, you could see the heart behind it. Yeah, and you you, this guy made it, and it's almost like Zombie Girl.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, when,
1: when you finally got to see the the movie from Zombie Girl, mm-hmm. you know, it looks like a movie made by a teenager with all of her friends. Right. Uh, on a weekend, but there's still something a little bit more behind it than just that. More than there was in that damn uh, treasure chest of horrors that I reviewed. <laughs> the one, that god, that one s- still pisses me off. Sorry to say, uh, the, but yeah. I, it just I can't. Uh, it, it was just it just never ended. It was just constantly. Each friend would give them a new scene, and they would throw it in. Oh my god, it was just brutal. Yeah. But with Zombie Girl, it was done by somebody who who, who really had a passion for it. And yeah. just like, just like in this movie and, you know, I'm talking about with the money, how you can make money, but really for a lot of these people, it's not even about the money. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just about, they've got to make movies and they want to make the movies they want to make. And they happen to be horror movies.
0: That's right. And, brother.
1: And they touch upon how people are like, you know, and, uh, what they say at one point that independent filmmakers are looked down upon and horror and the, Independent filmmakers are looked down upon by all the other independent filmmakers, basically, is what they're <laughs> saying. You know, they're right. like the lowest of the low. If independent filmmakers are whale scum, then they're the stuff that lives on the belly of whale scum.
0: Yeah, well, horror, you know? horror fans are used to that. And tell I you. think so. Yeah. So, well, so Dr. Jacques's horror business from 2005 is an 8.5 out of 10. You say buy it. All yeah. right. Well, you, you got me hooked. I'm going to check that out for certain. Okay, at this point in episode 26 of Horror Movie Podcast, I'm going to bring you two solo cast reviews. Then we'll join back up again with Dr. Shock in just a little bit. So just two days ago, as I record this, we got the DVD premiere of The Dead 2. Now, in some places, this has been called The Dead 2 India. But just so you know, the title card on the screen, which I'm really big at paying attention to that for the official title, <clears throat> reads The Dead 2. Anyway, I've never officially reviewed the first film, which was The Dead, from 2011. I haven't done that on any of my horror podcasts, but I did briefly review it on episode 11 of Midnight Corey's podcast, The Electric Chair. And I'll link that in the show notes for you, because we review Day of the Dead uh, both movies the original and then that remake thing <laughs> we did that in depth on that episode with uh midnight cory and jamie and it's uh tremendous actually that was a really fun episode and at the end of that i do a mini review of the dead but i'll give you a, a more in-depth review here anyway before i review the dead 2 I just want to bring everybody up to speed on The Dead first, just in case you're not familiar with it. Now, I can't imagine being a horror fan and not being familiar with The Dead because it had a lot of buzz. It's definitely a noteworthy film and it's an important one. And so let's move into Jay of the Dead's feature review of The Dead.
6: This is Flight Engineer Lieutenant Brian Murphy, sole survivor of military evacuation flight Lima, November
4: 260. Our orders had to be
1: at the roadblocks to stop the sweat by shooting the infected. But I left
0: to find my son. The Dead is a film out of the United Kingdom that was written and directed by the Ford brothers, Howard and Jonathan Ford. Sometimes he goes by John Ford. Now, many of you will probably remember this film as I said, had a lot of buzz leading up to it. And I'm not exaggerating when I say this. There is literally just as much to admire about the -the behind-the-scenes making of information on the dead as there is to admire on screen, honestly. And even though there weren't any real-life zombies in the making of this film, the lead actor, Rob Freeman, that was the guy who plays Lieutenant Brian Murphy, You might also recognize that actor as uh, Coach Quigley from Smallville, and he was also Sheriff Dallas Pope in Pumpkinhead Blood Feud. Anyway, this Freeman actor, he said in a February 2012 interview with StarPulse.com, he said that a lot of the harrowing situations in the film were actually happening in real life, so his performance (laughs) came a little bit naturally. For example, this really was some guerrilla filmmaking, like the dead was shot on location in Africa, and Freeman said they were running out of food and water during the shoot, and he actually contracted malaria and nearly died. I guess that's no exaggeration. And at one point, Freeman said in this interview that they were even held up at gunpoint and knife point, which is crazy, right? So, in describing his brush with malaria, Rob Freeman said that he passed out on set in the middle of the Outback, so they ended up rushing him to a hospital, which was like an hour away, and he said it wasn't actually a hospital, it was more like a brick building that had mold growing on the walls, and they they just had these sheets hanging up to separate him from the other patients, and they said they had all these tubes in him to treat him for malaria. And he didn't have a change of clothes. And he wasn't allowed to bathe for over a week. And so I guess it was a pretty scary experience. And he probably did almost die. But Freeman told StarPulse.com that they were harassed in the dark in the middle of nowhere by police who were carrying AK-47s. And he was also harassed quite a bit at customs, I guess. But the Ford brothers were seriously... Committed to creating something special here at this horror film. You can tell it's on screen. Um, They have a love for the genre, or at least the the zombie film subgenre. And their plan was to shoot a great-looking zombie film. And they wanted to shoot it on actual 35mm film stock, not digital. And I heard that they just wanted to see a big, beautiful zombie flick shot at real locations, up on the big screen with real film. And I think that's tremendous. We can all admire them for that. And that's exactly what they did. So uh, another special aspect to the dead is that the Ford brothers cast a number of local actors and um, some of these were amputees that lived there in that region. And it adds a lot to the authenticity and the realism of this film. Now, the IMDb trivia says that the original schedule was to shoot the film over a period of about six weeks, but with all the unforeseen problems that they encountered, it stretched it out to like twice as long and ended up being a 12-week shoot and, um, you know, just three months of hell, I guess. <laughs> and I guess there was a delay in the shipping of the film equipment to get it to Africa in the first place, and that alone cost them an extra three weeks. But they made it through, and the Dead finally hit theaters in limited release in October of 2011, which I'll never forget that year because that was the monumental month that we first released the weekly horror movie podcast, which is um, the beginnings of what became horror movie podcast later. Anyway, that was a side personal note, sorry. (laughs) And I guess every aspect of this film was difficult. You know, even getting it into theaters was kind of hard. So they had this limited release. But as I said, it's all this word of mouth that gave the movie its legs, I think. And that's how it should be. I mean, you've got two filmmakers here who really put it on the line. And apparently actors who put it on the line as well. And just committed to making a great horror film, not cutting any corners. And so I think they deserve some support from the fans. And so that's the background, like the making of... Um behind the dead, just some of it at least. But let's look at the film itself. Okay, so the premise, you've got this American soldier played by Rob Freeman, who was on the last plane out of Africa. Except it crashes off the coast of West Africa, and our hero is the only survivor. This is the premise, so it's no spoilers. And unfortunately, the zombie apocalypse is already set in motion, and it's devastating the population. The village is there in that area where he crashed were attacked the night before, and so he has to kind of scrape together some supplies and to begin this dangerous, long journey through this infected region. And along the way, the American soldier teams up with an African soldier who's trying to get to his son. So the two of them form this uneasy alliance and they try to survive while moving toward their destinations. And that's basically the premise. Now, the first thing I want to emphasize is what a rarity the dead is in the horror genre. Because, um, sure, in America, we get anywhere between something like 8 to 12 big budget Hollywood horror releases in a year most of them are disappointing to be honest but when i say big budget here i'm talking about big budget for horror films like anywhere between 1 million dollars up to something like what you know saw 3D or the conjuring both of those films had a budget of 20 million dollars according to box office mojo so you can get horror films that look polished you can get um, you know really well made films that are technically proficient and impressive. But the dead not only looks sharp, but it's shot on this exotic location, and apparently a dangerous location, as opposed to somewhere like Toronto, Canada, for example, which tons of films are shot up in Canada. And we love Canada. Nothing wrong with Canada, but I'm just saying. And on top of that, you don't you don't have a story that's thrown together by a committee or a heavy handed studio that's more paranoid about the bottom line, and how much money they're going to get, rather than some artistic risks and chances. So, The Dead is special in that way. It's, As I said, it's kind of a rarity, and I think we should all just kind of take a moment to appreciate that. And what I'm trying to say is, I think The Dead is one of the best-looking and most authentic-looking horror films I've seen, like, ever in my life, actually. And it's definitely worth watching. Just for everything that I've talked about so far. Now, having said all of that, because I've praised it sufficiently, I think when I watched The Dead the first time, I'm sad to report that I didn't really feel scared, except maybe once. Whereas in something like uh, 28 Days Later, you know, I'm scared throughout that movie, even upon repeat viewings. I think that's a freaking scary movie. But there's one really effective scene in The Dead that I won't spoil, but just kind of give you the basics of it. The two travelers are sleeping at night and they've set up a tripwire with a makeshift alarm system. And of course the zombies come as they always do. And this scene is actually pretty scary. But otherwise I just, I didn't feel the shock or fear or horror that you usually associate with um, a serious zombie film. And I was a little bit, and I'm I hate to say this, but I was just a little bit bored. And I'm sorry. I feel I hate myself for even saying it. I feel terrible. But The Dead is a little bit underwhelming in the scares department as well as in the pacing. And so let me just try to explain this before you guys jump on me, because I know a lot of people love this movie and rightly so. But in this movie, the American finds this old truck with very little pep to it. And it's almost like the truck has no engine, or at least it has a small engine that doesn't run very well. Well, it's weird, but this truck and its weak engine is metaphorically parallel to me, (laughs) to the movie itself. It's like, the truck looks great, it looks like an old beat-up truck in Africa, but um, it doesn't have a whole lot of get-up-and-go, and that's how the story is in this film, at least for me. I mean, because I think a problem at the script level is the the Rob Freeman character or the American lead guy, he doesn't really seem to have a lot of internal motivation. And sure, he has a family, but there's nothing driving his story or his journey along. And I think that um, hurts the film. And then the guy he partners with, the African soldier played by Prince David Osea, uh, he's driven to find his son and actually that's the only part of the plot that I can really get behind. I get a sense of that from his character. It draws me in and that I buy that. That sells me. But otherwise, this is written as a couple of characters who are just kind of wandering through a zombie infested landscape. And it's like they're being acted upon. And really, I believe that strong characters are proactive. They're the ones who act, and they don't wait to be acted upon. So, for this reason, there's not a ton of suspense to The Dead, at least not for me, and that may be its biggest failing. And I'm i am a zombie film fan. I mean, my horror moniker is Jay of the Dead, and I think you'll agree that the best zombie films out there are actually pretty suspenseful and intense, and I just don't think this is either of those. But... Um, There's surprisingly little dialogue, and I know the goal of the cinema is to show, preferably over telling, but I would have liked to have a little bit more interaction between the characters, and I guess that all the quiet time added maybe a little bit to the boredom that I was feeling. And a lot of zombie flicks have kind of a loose cannon type of character, somebody who's rash and impatient, dramatic and contentious. Someone to stir up things by being too aggressive with everybody and making dumb decisions. But uh, both the lead characters here are pretty amiable. They're kind of even keeled and I just miss that kind of character for the conflict there. Um, the loose cannon character, you know, like um, Carl Hardman's Harry in Night of Living Dead. That's the guy I'm talking about. I missed him from this and and, you know, when you don't have a rabble rouser like that, Um, it's a different film. It's not, it's not the zombie film that you're familiar with. And maybe that's what they were going for, but don't get me wrong, guys. I really dig the movie. I mean, it has slow zombies and I am a fast zombie man. I know that's heresy to a lot of people, but that's okay. I guess it's normal to expect a movie with slow zombies to be a little bit slow. (laughs) I'm just, I'm messing with it. I'm just trying to provoke you right now. I'm just kidding. But one last thing. I do like the look of these zombies, especially their, their eyes when they get bitten and are infected. You know, when they turn their eyes, turn into the lightest electric crystal blue and it looks very cool and it's kind of creepy for sure. So bottom line on the dead, I'm impressed and grateful for the work and the effort that was put into this film. I hope you can tell from the beginning of this review, the time I spent on it that I really wanted to appreciate what they did and I, I call this a work of art, for sure. It looks phenomenal. The locations and the casting of West African zombies those are strokes of brilliance. I just wish they had taken a closer look under the hood, so to speak, and looked at the engine of their story to give us a narrative where the story kind of, you know, moves along instead of just wanders aimlessly like a zombie. So, um, the dead definitely earns at least a 7 out of 10 for me, which is a pretty high rating for me. I'm telling you to definitely rent this for sure. Zombie fans, I know you already own it, but it is a buy if you're obsessed with zombies. Because in that subgenre, which is often very, very low budget, like I said, this film is a rare breed indeed. So this is a must-see slash must-own for zombie fans, but it's a definite rental for everyone else. But you can quote me on this. The Dead is one of the best made in terms of execution and the look of it and so forth. I'm talking technically. It's one of the best made zombie films in all of horror cinema. Okay, and now that brings me to my feature review of The Dead 2. I
2: don't know what's happening. There's fighting outside.
0: Shani, where are you right now?
2: I'm at home. Stay...
6: Where you are, I'm coming for you. It may take me some time, but uh, I'll get to you somehow. Something terrible is going on. People are uh, people are being attacked. I think it's happening every week. So just stay indoors, lock yourself in.
0: I'm coming for you. And for our baby. As I said, you'll probably find this movie in many places where it's titled The Dead to India. This movie runs one hour and 37 minutes long, and it was written and directed once again by the Ford Brothers. And um, the first thing I think you should know about this is, if you love the first movie, this is definitely more of the same. And I don't say that in a disparaging way. I mean, these are definitely adventure-type zombie films, and it's built along with the same formula as the first movie. The main difference is that it's just set on a different continent. (laughs) But you got this American guy. It's a different guy in this. He teams up with a local native and they travel together on this long journey. And I think it's like something like 300 miles or something in this movie. But so, yeah, the rough premise, if I just give you a very rough premise, the infectious disease spreads through India and an American who's working there learns that his girlfriend is trapped in the slums and he wants to try to get to her. And the American there, he's a guy named... The character's name is Nick. Nick is played by Joseph Milson. And I actually like this guy. I'm, I'm kind of behind this actor. Um, I think he's pretty cool. I didn't mind watching him for 98 minutes or whatever it was. So Nick is an electrical engineer. And he's contracted there to help build wind farms there in India. And he has kind of a, a past which you learn about later in the film. I won't go into it, but he wants a fresh start. And so he comes here to kind of start over again. And he finds himself in a similar situation, except this time around, he gets the chance to, you know, make good decisions and do the right thing. And so already, unlike the lead character, the lead American there in the first movie, The Dead, this guy is motivated because he doesn't want to make the same mistake that haunts him from earlier in his past. And again, it's not a huge deal, but I don't want to reveal stuff to you. So I'll just tell you, the motivation works well. And, you know, because of his failings earlier, and he doesn't want to have those deep regrets again. So that's why this guy is so driven. And, um, Early in the film, we get a screenwriting technique known as save the cat, except in this case, he saves the kid, and the kid ends up being his little um, local partner, you know, and again parallel with the first movie. I really think the four brothers liked the first movie. They saw it was successful, and they're like, hey, let's take that formula, just set it in India, and do the same thing, because that's what this is. That kid's a local guy, you know, and he knows the area, and it's played by Anand Krishna Goyal. His name is Javed. And basically, this kid tags along with this guy, and they're trying to navigate along on this trip. Um, As far as, like you know tying the two movies together there's not overlap in characters but you know the the film opens with a ship arriving called the African goddess so clearly it came from Africa and someone on board was leaving Somalia and he was bitten by a mad woman they say and so you know someone is infected and they arrive there in India and it spreads you know how it works Now, let me just say something about the zombies here that I forgot to mention in the first review. In this film, at least, uh, this is how I perceive it. Someone gets bitten, and that bite slowly kills a person. Like, you know, it takes some time for them to die from it, but it's like they get sick and infected. And then they turn soon after they die, and they're reanimated as living dead, right? And these zombies, I should have mentioned this, I think I did mention, they walk slow. I mean, they're slow walkers, but some of their movements sometimes are kind of fast. Like, if they're snapping at you or biting at you, you know, they speed it up for that. So, I guess they can be inspired. Special occasions, right? So, (laughs) anyway, um, these movies, both movies are like this, and uh, this one has the same thing. There are lots of long silences and then loud jump scares, and The few jump scares that it has, I mean, this probably has like six, I don't know, four to six jump scares, and they work pretty well. There are a few subtitles in the beginning, but um, don't worry if you hate subtitles, there's not a lot of that, so you don't have to worry. I want to just tell you about some cool stuff here. There are some great scenes in this movie, great ideas. And again, I won't spoil stuff, I'll just kind of give you a heads up what to look for and tell you why I think you should check this out. Um... When you see the first zombie in India, when he is introduced, it is a very cool and creepy scene. And I'll just tell you, look for, look for some wind. There's wind involved, and I think that's pretty cool. And you get those crystal blue eyes again. And then there's another scene where um, our lead character, the hero, and the kid walk through this um, mass burial area where there are lots of um, graves. And it's awesome because, um well, I won't say why, but it's awesome the way this is treated. <laughs> and that's super cool. And it doesn't actually play out the way you expect, which is also refreshing. And then there's a shot early on the film. I mean, this guy's an engineer and he works on these big turbines, like those giant white windmills. So the camera is really close in on him and he's like, tied onto the side of this windmill working on it and then the camera slowly backs out and it is tremendous it's um one of my favorite shots I've seen in the cinema in a long time honestly and at first I was trying to figure out I'm like how did they do that shot because it's it's very cool and I think they used some zoom in there and um either a, a big freaking tall dolly which I think would it's probably too tall for this or, I don't know, a helicopter perhaps, but pretty cool. And speaking of helicopters, uh there are helicopters in this, but there's this machine at one point that he uses, which is cool to see in a, a zombie film. It has like, like picture a giant fan. I don't know what these are called, but he has like a giant fan on his backpack, right? And then a parachute up above. And so... The wind catches the parachute, and he flies and then the the fan helps propel him forward. That's pretty cool. I mean you don't see that every day in a zombie movie, right and then there's another great point um where this lead character has a very hard decision to make, and I think it's awesome how um sometimes the most humane or the best decision or the right decision is the hardest decision and it's kind of counterintuitive. This film really does a nice job with that so um yeah like he comes upon a car crash, and that's all I'll say about that. That's pretty cool and then there's another scene involving a father and his children, which is very um <laughs> oh man, very unsettling, and it kind of sticks with you and so I think um there are lots of good scenarios in this this sequel here. The ideas like conceptually I think are really sharp, so even though the premise is like almost exactly the same. Um, I think that these extra little touches actually like, I mean, I may actually like this film better than the first one, if I'm being honest, which is kind of surprising to me. But um, there's some really neat stuff in this. As far as the problems, though, uh, the biggest problem, and this is a huge gripe and a big criticism of this film. I know these zombies are slow and everything, but this lead character here, Nick, he gets surrounded tons of times, like where he's like standing in the middle of a horde of zombies. And he, he, I'm not going to say he never gets bitten because I don't want to reveal what happens to him. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. But I'm just saying that so many times in the movie, he's standing in the middle of all these zombies. And my understanding is that zombies bite you and they're really determined to do that. And so it would be very hard if you're surrounded by like six zombies. To not get bitten, but he's like the luckiest freaking guy ever in a zombie movie. And it's very annoying. It's like, come on, guys. These zombies are hungry. I know they are. You can tell. Also, there's another sequence that's kind of dumb. You've got characters that end up getting separated. And this involves a helicopter. And it is not, I mean, the way that it occurs and transpires is kind of like super dumb. And you're like, that would never happen. I don't even know. (laughs) Like, it's just. It's kind of idiotic, and that's a small nitpick, I guess, but it bugged me. And sometimes the dialogue, like what is written on the page, I think, was decent, you know. But the actors, um, a lot of these Indian actors in this movie, I'm not saying that Indian actors are bad actors, okay? I'm just saying that some of the local talent that they cast in this movie who were not quote-unquote official actors, you know, they're just locals, um you know they're they're not quite up to the task of their performance right they can't deliver the lines well so you know you have um a sequence where the kid explains why he loves his toy and i think the dialogue is probably okay but he doesn't sell it and then you have another sequence where a mom is describing a a love that she had in her past and it just you know you just don't buy it and that's a shame because i think the fords i think their script is is okay. You know, I think it works, but the actors aren't able to give it the help it needs. And this film, again, it lags kind of in the middle. And as far as the ending, I won't reveal anything about the ending, except I was really worried about the contrivance. I'm like, okay, are they going to like tie a red bow on this and everything? And it doesn't go, it doesn't go there. I'm happy to report it's not totally contrived and wrapped in a little perfect red bow. It ends along the lines of a horror movie, which I'm pleased with. And, you know, I was going to end up giving this like a 6.5, like a half point lower than I rated the original. But it's not totally derivative, you know, despite what I said about the premise. It actually has a lot more ideas in it, even than the first movie. I think the the technical prowess, the look of the first film, I think exceeds this one. I'm not sure what happened, but I think in this film... Some of the shots just seem blurry to me. Now, don't quote me on this. Don't go around saying, well, Jay of the Dead said um, The Dead 2 was blurry. I mean, it's not that at all. But um, I I just think the the first film looks better when it's all said and done. But honestly, with these extra little ideas in this that I love some of the great stuff, I'm going up a whole point more. So I'm actually going to give The Dead 2 a 7.5 out of 10. And I'm going to call it a strong rental. I think this is a great double feature with the first film. And if you don't mind, you know, slower adventure type zombie films, if you're not going to fall asleep, I'd say watch them back to back. Honestly, it's the same story twice in a row, but you know, it's cool stuff. So yeah, 7.5 out of 10 and rent the dead too. Now, little PS on this, supposedly this film also had some crazy, behind the scenes stories too, according to DreadCentral.com. And I'm wondering at this point if they don't just report this stuff, and I mean the filmmakers, not Dread Central, to kind of generate more publicity around their film. But um, according to the interview here I got on DreadCentral, Central, this was also shot on location. Of course, they use locals, as I said, local actors to help give it a naturalistic feel. And um, these... This crew was under constant harassment as well. John Ford said that they had stones and branches and cow feces and even dogs. All those things were thrown at them. (laughs) He said, one time we went to a village on the edge of the desert, which is populated only by women and in a bizarre Monty Python-ish way, we suddenly got stoned a proper medieval stoning, and luckily we can all run pretty fast, but those rocks hurt, (laughs) he said. (laughs) And then Howard Ford, the other brother, said that the locals had never actually seen a zombie movie before, and so according to him, he says this was the first international zombie movie in India, and um, there were a couple of other local zombie movies that had been shot there, but it's really not part of their culture, he was saying in this interview. And he said it was really difficult to get shots of them doing what they were needing to do because they had to coach them a lot. And then when they were trying to direct the actors to do things, they thought it was funny. They thought it was ridiculous. And they were laughing. And he said it was actually kind of a nightmare to try to get them to take it seriously and to get this movie shot. So he said it took a lot of time and energy. And I guess the language barrier was also a real problem. Even with uh, translators, they had a hard time communicating what they needed the actors to do. So these movies, it sounds like they're definitely labors of love. They come at a price. And I think that the listeners out there, take it from Jay of the Dead here, zombie guy. I think you should definitely check out The Dead and The Dead 2. Make it a double feature and I think you'll have a good time. Okay, we got a voicemail that came in right before we're ready to release this episode, so I figured I'd jump on here by myself and uh, cover this voicemail. We love getting voicemails. It's seriously cool to hear from you guys, like to actually hear your voices and hear what you have to say. So if anybody wants to call and leave a voicemail for Horror Movie Podcast, you can call 801-382-8789. And that'd be great. So this one comes from our good friend. His dinner's in the oven. And let's hear what he has to say.
6: Hey, guys, what's up? This is uh, his dinner's in the oven. Just wanted to say you guys are doing, I mean, I love your show. Always is great. Thank you so much. And, oh, I do really like the Frankenstein shows. To me, I, like, I like every show. All right, enough of that. Just wanted to actually throw out a recommendation. I don't know if anybody's seen it. I've been listening to the show, but I haven't been following the board, so maybe people have been talking about it. But I definitely would like to hear your guys' take on a movie called Rigor Mortis that just came out. It's on Netflix now. It's actually a Chinese movie. And uh, it's just a really different, strange movie. It's somewhere in between, like, *Night Watch* and The Ring. Would love to hear your guys' thoughts on it. And it's like sort of a, a meta-sequel to uh, the Mr. Vampire series, the, the Chinese series of horror comedies, but this is not a comedy. And also, I was wondering if you'd heard anything about, and I may have posted something about this, a movie called Game of Werewolves. It's a movie that's been released, I believe, in Europe and South America. And I think, you know, it's something Josh would love because I've read great reviews about it. I can't find out when it's, where it's being distributed here. But it's basically being described, described as like dead snow with werewolves. And speaking of werewolves, I wanted to know if you guys had heard anything about the movie called, I believe it's Where, I'm not sure, or were, it's a WER, it's W E R, and it's a found footage werewolf film, so that's something for Josh, and I know Jay, you like found footage films. And, uh, speaking of found footage films, okay, Evan, I promise to shut up. I was wondering if you heard of a movie called, I believe it's called The Jungle, which is a found footage, uh, Beastly Freak movie coming out that actually looks kind of interesting so I know there's a lot here don't feel like you have to put this on the air or whatever but just didn't feel like typing at all that's all okay take care guys thank you so much keep up the great work love the show
0: okay thank you his dinner's in the oven great guy first of all I just want to say seriously again thanks for the voicemail and yeah anytime you want to call and leave a voicemail do it voicemails are a priority listener feedback as far as I'm concerned. And also, thanks for saying that you like the Frankensteinian episodes, because honestly, um, I think we've been apologetic about those along the way, which, I don't know, I, I love that kind of thing. To me, it's part of the horror movie podcast format, and I really enjoy it, and so I'm glad to hear that somebody else does too. <laughs> okay, let me just tell you something. So, this is episode 26 that you're listening to now, and actually... Even though we're a bi-weekly podcast, usually every other Friday we release, you're getting seven episodes in a row, seven straight Fridays, back to back, and this is the first one of those, so you got episode 26 is this one, and then for the next five Fridays, you get the Halloween stuff that we've been doing, and then the first Friday in November is November 7th. And we're going to be releasing an episode that day, too. So that'll be episode 32. Now, I say all this because I want you to know this voicemail was great. Gave me lots of good homework. We'll be covering Rigor Mortis in that show. Now, I can't speak for my co-hosts. I never know exactly what they're going to be able to get to or not. But I can tell you this. I will be watching Rigor Mortis because I've been curious about that one. This is really odd, actually. (laughs) Like So many things you mentioned... Have been on my list. Let me just go down through here. So, um, Game of Werewolves. Now, we have talked about this before, and someone was asking us about it. It was probably you, his dinner's in the oven. I'm sorry, I don't remember exactly. And we've had people, um, listeners who are, you know, not in the States who have seen it before, as I recall. Now, when I was researching it this time, I found something interesting. So, this film, I think the original title is uh, Lobos de Arga, or something like that, which I don't know what that means. I know Lobo is wolf in Spanish, I think. but <laughs> And so that's a Spanish film. This is out of Spain. I believe that's the one that you're referring to that is Dead Snow with Werewolves, which sounds like a great concept to me. I'm in on that one, so I'm totally for this. I want to see it, and you, know, you guys keep teasing about it, so I'm excited. So on IMDb, this comes up from 2011, And the writer-director is Juan Martinez Moreno, okay? Now, here's what's interesting. And by the way, I was not able to find that, like, on Netflix or, you know, Amazon. Because when I went to Amazon, there is a film called Game of Werewolves. And it is actually out of Japan. And the cover art to this is pretty cool, If the film is like the cover art, I'm totally down. I mean, I'd encourage you guys to check it out because it looks like a post-apocalyptic scene where the city is just blown out, the cars are destroyed, and there are a bunch of werewolves in the streets just looking at us, the camera, or what would be the camera. And this looks like a very cool film. The problem is, on this one, I mean, they only have like you know, Blu-ray and DVD versions. And they're very pricey. This is like 36 bucks or something like that. You can get DVD, it looks like for $21 US at least, but it would appear unless they've like repurposed it or something. But this is supposed to be a Japanese film, whereas the other one is a Spanish film. It appears that there are two Game of Werewolves movies. So maybe that's why there's so much buzz about this. If anybody has more insights, because maybe I'm totally just screwing this up, but the one is from Spain, and it it has a different flavor to it, and it appears to have different actors as well. These are Spanish actors, presumably the one that's in Spain. And then the one here that comes out of Japan, it stars uh, Richard Armitage, Andrew Lincoln. So that's curious. I I don't know. So if anybody has any more insights on that, I'd love to hear it, but I cannot find either of these films just yet. But thanks for asking. I'm glad you keep bringing this up, His Dinner's in the Oven, if it is, in fact, you who mentioned it before, because it seems like we need to get to the bottom of this and check this out. I just feel bad. I feel like I'm letting everybody down on Game of Werewolves and the WNUF Halloween special. So anyway, we'll get these uh, tracked down eventually. Now, moving on here to um, where is how I pronounce it, but maybe it is were, I don't know. W-E-R, it's a 2014 film, at least in the U.S., that's when it was released. Found footage werewolf film, as you said. I've been curious about that one, but I'll be honest, the title to me kind of bugged me like the cover art looks great you look at the dvd poster and it's like okay that's kind of creepy right but the title i'm like that's dumb this is probably like a a red box level low budget horror flick but when you said it was found footage i'm in so i'm gonna cover where as well so rigamortis and where on episode 32 which again releases november 7th and then the coolest thing is you mentioned The Jungle, which is a 2014 Beastly Freak film. And yes, found footage is my understanding as well. And that has been on my watch list in the top five for the past several weeks. So now I feel like I've got a really good excuse. His dinner's any of it. I'm glad that you called in because I'm definitely going to cover that too. So that's a promise. Got Rigor Mortis, Where in the Jungle. I'll be covering that for next time. And as for the rest of this year, the 2014, I mean, there actually aren't that many more episodes that we're going to be releasing for the rest of this year because the the time is running out, you know, so it's kind of weird. There are only like, you know, five episodes or so. So I just want to give you guys an idea of what we're going to be doing I'm going to start trying to cover and catch up on as many of the 2014 horror releases as possible in preparation for our big end of the year 2014 recap show. That's actually my favorite show of the year on both of my movie podcasts. I'm just nuts about it. And so we'll be recapping 2014 horror and giving some lists, and that'll come out on January 2nd, which is a Friday. Anyway, one last note for his dinner's in the oven. I wanted to take the time and just uh, thank him. He's uh, the nice guy that left this voicemail. He also gave us a very generous donation, and that's actually helping sponsor these Halloween episodes that are coming out. And so I just really appreciate you, and thanks for all you do for the show. Okay, so um, rejoining me again, I have Dr. Shock back with me. And now I'm excited to talk about a couple things here First of all, I just saw on, you know, as we record this today, I saw on IMDb that Paramount has announced a new title and release date for Paranormal Activity 5, as well as a new release date for Scouts vs. Zombies. Now, Paranormal Activity 5, Doc, that's now going to be released on March 13th, 2015, and they're going to call it Paranormal Activity, The Ghost Dimension.
1: Isn't it a little... Defeating of defeating the purpose to not put it out in October?
0: Yeah, that's one Wasn't it problem. like an
1: October tradition? Almost like Saw. So all the Saws, I'm pretty sure, were released in October.
0: Well, I'll tell you, that's actually what happened with Paranormal Activity 4.5, as you'll remember. <laughs> Some people call it the marked ones. Yes. And that was... um That, that was w-
1: January or something.
0: Well, it was going to be October, and then they kicked it up to January from you know, last year. And this was supposed to be October 25th. And it's funny we're talking about this because in the IMDB comments on this news story, (laughs) this one person wrote, I thought Paranormal Activity, the marked ones was Paranormal Activity 5. And that's what I wanted to say is like the marked ones is what I call Paranormal Activity 4.5 because, you know, people like my friend Willis Wheeler, he argued that it was actually supposed to be like a spinoff movie And it's not related like directly to this, which I think is dumb personally because it's called Paranormal Activity still, Uh you know, and that bugs me. But, but for those who are interested in hearing more about the marked ones, Wolfman, Josh, and I reviewed it in episode six of horror movie podcast. And we walked right out of the theater, got in the car and we started recording that review. And I liked the review a lot, but I'll just tell you right now, for me, that movie was a one and an avoid, and I'll mm. give I'll give this new one a chance, of course. But, um, you know, I don't like the title already. I'm not trying to be a jerk, but the Ghost Dimension, come on, yeah, does that bug you?
1: That's a little strange.
0: Yeah, so anyway, strange. That's a little update now. Dave. Now they got
1: to give them all little titles. They can't just go by the numbers anymore.
0: Yeah, because well, yeah, once you get up in those high numbers, it starts seems it seems ridiculous, right? Yeah, I
1: guess so. Yeah, I guess that's true. You even got like with Friday the Thirteenth. Once it got up there, they all they had to add uh, more to the title.
0: Yeah. Now, Doctor Shock. So our friend David, who is an awesome commentator, we appreciate all his work. He wants to know if you've seen the WNUF Halloween special and if so, what you think about it?
1: I have not. And you know what? I'm sorry. I missed, I must have missed his original question because he said he had asked that before. I guess I so. must have missed that or I, I saw it and I never came back. I certainly did not, I was not ignoring it on purpose. Right. But I have not heard of it, but I guess that's something I, I should, uh, and it's
0: M, what is it, M? It's WNUF Halloween Special. And we've We've actually talked about it a few times on this podcast. We've had a few listeners weigh in on what they thought about it, and um, it's kind of interesting. It was one of those things, as I recall, let's see, um, let me see if I get this right. It was like a horror comedy film, and it was supposed to depict like actual footage, right? It, it follows this television personality. And they mm-hmm. try to investigate supernatural occurrences at this house that's supposed to be haunted in real life, like for real. And so this W N U F, or I don't know if it's pronounced one off <laughs> Halloween special, it was given. They gave it like the limited VHS run, like and okay. this is back in Those, 2013.
1: I just pull. I just tried to pull it up on Amazon for uh, you know movies DVD, and the only thing that came up was the Paul Lynde Halloween special.
0: Yeah, the thing is, um, I I talked to David about this, and I said that I'd been trying to track it down, and he did find it a couple places, but he says it's really pricey, so, uh-huh. um, yeah, it's not super easy to find, but once we do find it, listeners out there who are curious, we're, we'll be happy to review it. Yes, or, absolutely. <laughs> or if anybody has a copy and you trust me, or trust us, you know, we'll... We could pass it around. We could borrow it. As pathetic as that sounds, but I'm just saying. Um, you know, if you want to hear a view of it, we're happy to do it. So, okay,
1: yeah, I would. I want to see it. I I would like to, you know, check it out.
0: Me too, brother. Okay, so thanks, David, for your comment. And then looking at our poll question, we put up a poll question last time, and this has only been up as we record this. It's only been up like, you know, five or six days. But the question was, if you could only watch one decade of horror movies henceforth, which would you choose? And Dr. Shock, we got um, 45 votes so far. <laughs> okay. And 49% of those, so almost half, picked the 1980s.
1: Yes, but horror. the 70s is pretty close, isn't it?
0: Yeah, the 70s has got 33%. Yeah, and um, the '60s has four percent, '50s four percent, '1930s has two percent.
1: I thought that was cool. I like seeing somebody voted for the '30s. That's that, awesome. I'm not whoever awesome. you are. My hat's off to you because that's uh, that's really cool. It's you super. Know, cause awesome. I, that would have been that would almost be like my second because I love the the beginning of horror. So that that's cool. Well,
0: I'll tell you what shocked me to death was that the 2000s, the odds only had seven percent, and honestly. The first 10 years of the odds, I mean, right there, I, I, there were a lot of great horror films there. I there mean,
1: really were. I mean, the 90s were definitely on the weak side mm-hmm. with a few exceptions. But the, the, two, the, the aughts, they really did rebound. And, yeah. and, 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 and it was, you had a lot from all over the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that was when France really started to get into it with the real extreme stuff. Um, you know, you had... Um, uh, well, yeah, just a lot of uh, like the Japanese horror movies,
2: mm-hmm. yeah. you know, the
1: Asian horror movies. That you had a lot of a lot going on in that first in that first decade of uh, of the millennium, and and yeah, I'm surprised by that too because I, I was there's a lot of really good movies. You know, yeah, we were talking about one of them today, The Descent. I mean, as as great as that is, you know, The Ring. You got there are so many of them. I'm surprised it didn't get more votes.
0: Mm-hmm. Well. It makes me wonder if our our listenership is a little bit older than I thought, like if a lot of them are our age or older, <laughs> you know, because it seems like if our if our listenership were younger, like, you know, late teens, early 20s, mm-hmm. you know, I bet that we would have had more votes there. But that's kind of interesting.
1: It's, it's, it's yeah, I, I think so. And I think it might sort of speak to who um, who our listeners are. I think so. I think definitely it speaks to that, uh, and obviously, I mean, look, we—I picked the '80s as much for nostalgia as anything.
0: Yeah, and I you know, wonder it's, it's that when I grew too.
1: up, and, and 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 I mean, I love the '70s. Don't get me—I absolutely love the '70s, and it was a really close second for me, mm-hmm. the '70s. Now I know you were talking last week that as you were going through for the um for the special. Coming across some movies that you're like, oh well, you know there might have been some weaker ones in the in the '70s. Um, I'd be interested to know which ones you were talking about.
0: Well, like for example, um, you know, recently I just uh, watched "It's Alive," which is a fun movie on on yeah. in some respects. But um, you know, I mean, it's kind of fun. It's got its charms, but it's not. Uh, tremendous! Well, I'm
1: a fan. I do like It's Alive. I'm a fan of It's Alive, but I and I think it was the first movie Rick Baker provided all of the makeup for.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. I think
1: it might have been no, but yeah, I like I like It's Alive. I know what you're saying. It's not going to be. It's not like The Exorcist, but, but <laughs> you know, it's
0: a big example though. Would be like Suspiria, which I know a lot of people love that, right? But um, I think that movie is a snooze fest. Dario Argento, Suspiria. <laughs> I know that's really controversial. It's like a fifty-fifty. That that movie's so divisive. Like, I, mm-hmm. I mean, we got people who love it and people who hate it. And yeah. um, you know, I, Bill Shetty's with me on that. We both think I it's know, super did I, That
1: was yeah. <laughs> that was uh, that was one of the more um, intense episodes.
0: <laughs> yeah, the weekly horror movie podcast. You guys want to hear some battling on podcasts? check out those later episodes and yes. we were, we the Suspiria and Deep Red and stuff like Suspiria
1: that. And Deep Red. I'm, i I enjoyed them both. I do like, like both of those movies. Uh, I don't know that I call them the classics of the decade. I don't know that I'd rank them. They certainly wouldn't be in my top 10 of the decade. Yeah. To be honest with you, but I do. And i like, see, it's funny. Cause with Argento, I like some of his, some of his yellows more. And Suspiria is not as yellow. Right. You know, it, it's not. Um deep red eh, I don't even know if that one's considered I mean it's closer to one I'm not sure uh, if it's officially considered a Jalo or not
0: I think Midnight Cory was calling it that on that Yeah uh, I, I think so
1: I think so too but I'm not 100% sure if that I mean I know Suspiria is not Um deep red eh, it has some it, has, it does have some of the it does have some of the qualities of a of a, of a giallo, but so a lot of the Jalo's is just you know it's the it's the like torso. Mm-hmm. That we covered. Yeah. That one is more of a giallo. That one's definitely a giallo.
5: Sure.
2: Yes. You
1: know, and 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 Argento's um bird of the, bird of the, with the crystal plumage. Mm-hmm. is is a giallo. And a few of his uh, other movies that he's that he's done it's funny cuz Argento as much as he was revered in the 70s, he has just done nothing. I mean, it's amazing how that he just has dwindled away to nothing. And it's not even – at the movies he's turning out are so bad. Like, uh um, do you like Hitchcock? I remember checking that out because it was almost going to be like a return for, for him, almost to the shallow sort of style. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was brutally bad. Yeah. I mean, brutally bad. Well. Uh, and And a lot of his movies have just sort of been that way. It's funny, you don't like Suspiria, but you like, because Suspiria is like one of three movies, I think. Yeah. No,
0: and I and, like, but, you
1: like, but you like Mother of Tears.
0: I did. I love that. Which for
1: me is unwatchable. Uh, I know. <laughs> that movie <laughs> is totally unwatchable, Mother of Tears. Like, I
0: can't understand why you like that. Movie. That is hilarious, huh? That, yeah, I think it's a fun movie. But um, so, okay, a couple of things on this. We got a comment from Susan who responded to this. And um, yeah, I got some heat on this. She said, Jay... How can you do without the 70s? If I only got one decade, it would have to be that one The Exorcist, The Omen, The Hills Have Eyes, Phantasm. How many of the 70s movies have been redone over the years? Carrie, Texas Chainsaw, and Amityville Horror, better effects, but the story was there to begin with. There was also such a variety of types of horror. Uh, there were beastly freaks, religious, slashers, paranormal, psychological, mutants, and many that don't fit into neat categories. Great podcast. Keep up the good work. I'm sure it's difficult to pull off with normal life's interferences, but you all bring so much to each episode. Thanks for your hard work. So th- thanks, Susan. That's a great question. And I'm going to answer y- you and Juan in a minute because Juan also weighed in here, Doc. Yep. And he said, Jay... I second Susan on 70s horror. I don't think you're really thinking this through, bro. (laughs) He said, (laughs) I mean, you're just straight up dismissing it. I love 80s horror as much as the next guy, but the 70s brought us a more serious take on horror, more sophisticated, more visceral, more psychological. Just look at everything you'll be giving up. And he gives this really fun list. He says, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is our all-time favorite, huh, Doc? Yep. And he says, The Exorcist, Alien, Halloween, Jaws, The Last House on the Left, Dawn of the Dead, The Dawn Omen. Dawn of the
1: Dead's a big one, yep.
0: Yes, The Omen, Black Christmas, Alice Sweet Alice, which I love. Right. Carrie, The Hills Have Eyes, The Wicker Man, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Now, And
1: that Invasion of the Body Snatchers is... An excellent version.
0: Yeah, from '79, right?
1: From the '70, I think '78.
0: Is it '78? It's the one
1: with with um uh, Donald Sutherland, Jeff Goldblum, mm-hmm. um, uh, Brooke Adams, uh, Leonard Nimoy's in that. Yeah, that really does. You know, it it whereas the first movie is sort of a classic sci-fi with some horror elements to it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, it's it's a horror movie too, but it's more sci-fi. I think the first one. This re- this remake really ramps up the horror.
0: Yeah, we had um. I, th- I think it was David. Some somebody was championing that as well on the yeah. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. That that one might even be. I mean, the first one, the fifties, is a classic. But I really do, I really do like that nineteen seventy. As a matter of fact, if you put both of them in front of me, I would probably pick that one up first to to rewatch it.
0: Mm mm-hmm. Yeah, I see. Well, I I tell you, um, David weighed in, too, before I give my answer here, because I wanted to kind of address this, um, he, he he wrote some neat things, too. He said that he he was kind of with me. He liked the 80s, and he gave a list of good 80s stuff. I think it was awesome. He said, um, The Shining, Friday the 13th franchise, the first four movies in particular, The Fly, The Thing, The Burning, Day of the Dead, The Beyond, City of the Living Dead, Poltergeist, Hellraiser. Reanimator, Nightmare on Elm Street, Creep Show, My Bloody Valentine, Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer, Aliens, Return of the Living Dead, um, and so on. He gives Pieces, Maniac, you know, Pet Cemetery, Pumpkinhead, lots of good ones. He went down through, and he brought up that he thought that what gave the eighties the edge was the sheer quantity and the variety, and he thought that VHS format really helped with the influx of oh, films. Oh, definitely, and, definitely, and that's what I wanted to answer, like. Honestly, like, I I like the 70s, and I definitely wasn't dissing them. In fact, we're probably, what, for how long now, Doc? For a year so far. It's probably going to be two years when it's all said and done. We're planning this, yeah. We're planning to do the best horror movies of the 1970s, and it'll be epic, too, in the same way that this Halloween stuff is epic. We're going to do a gigantic, and that's actually what I'm doing over on Movie Podcast Weekly because I do feel a little thin in the seventies horror area. I mean, I know these classics and stuff, but, um, I I need to explore it more myself. I wanted to prepare for it. So I'm definitely not dismissing them. So that's the first thing, but I want to say, um, you know, that list that, that, was written was great that Juan wrote of the 70s there are a lot of tremendous films and I I think
1: every single one he mentioned supports (laughs) yeah his claim you know you can't argue with him
0: and if you only had one decade of horror to watch it would be hard to not have those and I think that in the 80s there weren't as many like quote-unquote great ones like on the level of the shining and the way that the shining was great or that the thing was great
2: uh-huh. or the
0: first Friday, the 13th. But for me, I think you hit the nail on the head doc. And I think this is why I ultimately go with the eighties. It is a nostalgia factor. There's, yeah. there's a feeling to the eighties horror cinema. that just, um, takes me back to that time when I would be at my cousin's house. They lived out this Creek in a trailer and we would watch horror on h b o or we'd rent v h s s and man, and this is like mid early to mid eighties ish and and that was just an unforgettable time for me. I was so scared so many nights of my life.
1: oh yeah it was it was that's the same with me. Mm-hmm. you know for me, it was more cable though, yeah. You know, I'd I'd watch a lot of those movies on cable TV,
0: like Cinemax.
1: Same thing. Well, that was what was it? We had, it was our local one here in the Philadelphia area was called Prism, which is now Comcast. Okay, I and mean, that was like the roots of Comcast was, was Prism. I gotcha. Um, and HBO. You know, we we had HBO, uh, but I remember waking up like real early in the morning to go in and watch The Shining. <laughs> I'm talking like one o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. going to watch The shining. And then like by the end of that movie, really regretting having done
2: that. Yeah.
0: Right. I <laughs> it know.
1: scared the hell out of me.
0: I know. Uh, I know. But,
1: but even with some of the '70s, I mean like alien, I did the same thing. I remember watching alien, uh, when I was really young and obviously the thing and all those movies, Friday the 13th, they all were on cable and they are bigger. You know, I, the, uh, the, um, Halloween's and, and, and everything. And it just was such a good time. Yes. When I watch a lot of these movies from the 80s, I'm a kid again, you know, sitting there, getting home from school, but before my parents got home from work, throwing it on and watching these horror movies, the sci-fis, the, the you know, a lot of the things that maybe I wouldn't be allowed to watch. Yeah. And, well, no, for them, it, the horror never really fit. I think I've said this before. For my parents, it never... Horror, sci-fi, fantasy never really existed. They were kind of out of the realm of anything they paid attention to. Yeah. They wouldn't they would make sure I would not watch an officer and a gentleman, <laughs> but then I could go in the other room and watch Excalibur and they wouldn't even raise a, you know, they wouldn't even care because it's like, a little, it's a little sword movie, you know, swords, so, swords and
0: stuff. Hilarious.
1: Yeah. So, so I was able to get away with it to that regard. And with horror, it was the same thing so, um, but, but, God forbid, I watch an officer and a gentleman,
0: right, of course, you know, yeah, <laughs> can't
1: watch that one. No, no, that's not for you. You cannot watch an officer and a gentleman. but uh, <laughs> you know, everything else was was okay.
0: one of these days, this is coming, just so people know, I have this grand idea, and this is down the line, but for any eighties naysayers, not that anybody is a naysayer, but um, my vision. So maybe next Halloween, I'm talking October of 2015, I'm torn, Doc, on whether we should do the entire Friday the 13th Mm -hmm. series like we did Halloween this year, or if we should do, okay, ready for this, Yes. a comprehensive overview of 80s horror, and I mean where we basically give many reviews of every single 80s film that we can come up with. Uh see, I shouldn't have said it out to put it out there. <laughs> well <laughs> Over,
1: I think if you're gonna do that, to be honest with you, mm-hmm. um I don't know how we would go about pulling this off, but I think you'd almost have to have like an episode per year.
0: Well, or or like an episode. Or an
1: episode forever for a couple years. Like look at a two to three year span.
0: Well, for example, um like and and you know we got to be reasonable I guess cuz like our main objective on this podcast is our themed episodes and i like to yes. cover new horror so that that's our primary stuff but even if we did something like if we covered if we get 5 weeks in Halloween like we did this October if we get 5 weeks and we did you know 2 years for each week you know mm-hmm. 1980 and 1981 like Yeah, we
1: could knock it out. Yeah,
0: and and and, you know it wouldn't be completely exhaustive, but it would give people, especially if we have younger listeners who who aren't as familiar with the '80s, -hmm. they would I think they would really value something like that. But I mean, I'm really tempted to do that because I'm so nuts about '80s horror. But um, for example, just looking in 1980, um, right off the bat, there you got things like The Changeling, The Fog, Friday the Thirteenth. He Knows You're Alone, Maniac, yeah. Motel Hell. Mother's Day is a guilty pleasure for me, even though it's kind of terrible. Prom Night, <laughs> The Shining, I mean, New Year's Evil, I mean, right there. I, that's that's, a, a,
1: that's great. That's, that's like a great group of, of, <laughs> of movies right there, and that's just the the very beginning. And there. that's
0: just 1980s so, yeah. so I'm saying, like, if people out there, if you are skeptical of how awesome 80s horror is, um, I think we're going to have to address that on this and that, podcast. And
1: that quantity of that you just read off there mm-hmm. is is impressive. I mean, just the number of of movies you mentioned there. And I don't think you mentioned them all. No, no, you no. you just mentioned the like the good ones. Yeah. I mean, look at how many have been released this year.
0: Oh man, yeah. I you know, know, and I, I haven't. I haven't been happy with the stuff that's been in the theaters, to be honest. Like,
1: yeah. and Now I got to say, I am looking forward to this Annabelle.
0: Okay. Yeah. All
1: right. That's like almost like a prequel to The Conjuring.
0: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: And I know you didn't like The Conjuring because they pulled a girl around by her hair on the ground.
0: <laughs> I liked but. it. I liked it. I didn't love it.
1: <laughs> right. Okay. I, I definitely liked it more than you did. Yes. Um, but that doll, and you know, it was based on, I was talking to somebody about this recently. That doll from The Conjuring was based on an actual story. Neat. That had, they had investigated, but the original uh, doll. Mm-hmm was like a Raggedy Ann-type doll.
0: Yeah, which it isn't was not this nearly this, as scary-looking.
1: Not nearly as scary as <laughs> this, you know, the one that... Uh, and this is the type of doll that James Wan uses in, in all of his movies, the good ones and, and the bad ones.
0: I think he just has a doll collection that he wants to get on film. <laughs> that could be it, yeah. That could
1: be it. But I'll tell you what, that opening of The Conjuring worked.
0: Oh, yeah. Tremendous. With those
1: girls and that doll, that was
0: really well done. I'm telling you, I th- when when the Conjuring saw that in the theater when it opened like in you know the beginning and then the title screen, I thought this movie's going to be a 10. <laughs> and yeah. I still say I should have rated it higher probably, but man, those scenes anyway, I won't go into it again, but All right. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll spare people, but anyways, speaking of, let's just since we're on that real quick and then I got to eat some crow here. for for everybody, but so maybe I'm putting it off, (laughs) but uh, I want to say, just so people know that our our plan here for October, you know, you know we're doing the Halloween stuff. Well, typically when there's a new movie in theaters, we record a review of it and release an episode. Well, we don't want to interrupt these Halloween episodes or, um, for lack of a better word, pollute them with anything that's non-Halloween franchise Uh and so uh, i tell you what we'll do i mean i'm sure doc will be tweeting stuff on twitter as always um maybe i'll do written reviews or i'll at least put up on twitter a rating of something in theaters if you guys are curious about what we're thinking about the horror that's in theaters this october but if you're wondering where our reviews are for this this little slate of october 2014 horror movies um we'll we'll be putting together uh an episode probably the first episode in November we'll talk about the you know the October horror does that make sense doc yeah i think so okay so in case people are wondering but we just don't want to um cloud the halloween stuff but
1: right we you you have gone th- to uh great lengths mm-hmm. to really sort of just uh focus all of the episodes in October into Halloween and in a very specific, you know, not we're not discussing one movie while, the, you know, we're not discussing number one while we're talking about number three. Right. Or, and so forth, because you have a, just a very specific plan laid out.
0: Yeah. When we talk about how
1: we're going to do this. That's
0: right. Next week, when you hear our review for the first Halloween, John Carpenter's for an hour and 45 minutes, we're solely talking about the first Halloween so Doc, I, I promised I had to eat some crow though for yep. you. So like so speaking of the seventies, you guys, I finally, finally I know it's taken a long time. I'm sorry for the people who keep telling me, Jay, watch it, watch it. Um, especially like Jeff Hammer, for example, he keeps telling me to watch this. I finally caught up with A Bay of Blood from 1971 Italian film. And I rev- I did a mini review over there on Movie Podcast Weekly for my 1970s horror thon segment. And so I won't go into it here right now because we're going to be talking 70s big time during our big 70s episode. Mm -hmm. But I do want to say that, you know, we've had that debate, which was the first official full-blown slasher. And a lot of people say Black Christmas. And I've always tried to push for Alice Sweet Alice, which is (laughs) 1976. But honestly, I think it's undeniable that thus far, I mean, I haven't seen a ton of the, the Italian slashers, but Bay of Blood is clearly a slasher and it's from 1971. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, if you're talking about American films, yeah, it probably is Black Christmas for slasher, but, yeah. but A Bay of Blood, you know, predates that and it's clearly a slasher. Although
1: flick. I have to say, although technically Black Christmas is a Canadian movie.
0: Oh, okay, well then. Still
1: in the Americas. Yeah.
0: But not, not a U.S. <laughs> I'm always trying to steal uh, stuff from Canada. <laughs> 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 Well, okay. Well, then I see. Well, then so if Black Christmas is a Canadian movie officially, then it probably is Alice Sweet Alice.
1: Well, there you go if you're looking for the US slashers. That's right. But I don't see how you could, you <laughs> know, Black Christmas is is has all of the tropes it's, of uh, of a slasher movie, so. You,
0: yeah, I mean it's 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 definitely good. I love that movie. Okay. okay. So, we got a an awesome and hilarious comment from terry and i this was an email and you're gonna die when you hear this dr shock are you ready for this yes terry this made my whole day thank you for sending this in he says regarding arbor day now for people who forget in a previous episode and in other episodes i always talk about how i want to make a slasher film called arbor day where they use (laughs) like an edge trimmer you know for the slasher. right He says, regarding Arbor Day, FYI, Mad Magazine did a satirical spoof of the slasher genre back in 1981 called Arbor Day, drawn by Jack Davis. It is a fantastic, dead-on, perfect satire about a trio of buxom, archetypal girls who head off to the woods to celebrate the holiday by planting trees. (laughs) Meanwhile... (laughs) There is a long-haired lumberjack on the loose, a restaurant run by a creepy older woman and a sheriff and a mayor trying to solve the killings that are happening. I still have the issue. It's number 227, and it is well worth tracking down. You can Google image, search it too. I always wish they would have made this an actual film using the comic panels as storyboards. (laughs) So stupid mad magazine beat me to my idea it sounds like (laughs) but they haven't made the film yet but um great minds think alike i guess so thanks terry for validating that so you see doc arbor day is a legitimate horror idea
1: i guess so yeah i guess it would be
0: yeah so that's cool terry thanks again so yes now, I want to tell you how small a world this is, Dr. Shock, and I'm sorry for the movie podcast weekly people who cross over and if you have to hear this again, but I want to give a big shout out and a big thanks to Steve, who became a monthly donor um, for um, a horror movie podcast here. And it turns out when I looked at PayPal to see you know, where Steve is from, he is from my hometown of Wheeling, West Virginia. And so I wrote to him because, you know, we have listeners from all over the world, Doc, honestly, you know, not bragging, just saying we have people from everywhere. And it's just amazing that my small town of like 30,000, you know, Steve is there and I didn't even know him beforehand. And he said that he just wanted, he was looking for a movie podcast and he found horror movie podcast. And then... He was hooked on that, he said, and then he saw that we had a sister site movie podcast weekly, and he said he quit searching for movie podcasts because he didn't need any more after that. So,
1: Wow, that's awesome.
0: So that made my day, and it was great yeah. to have a fellow West Virginian from my hometown. And I want to tell people, uh, Steve here, he, he is a, a blogger. He's a film critic who writes uh, movie reviews on his blog, and his blog is horror after bath time which is no no that's awesome right yeah you're like what's that mean right and and basically uh he's a dad and so after he does bath time with his kids and puts them down for bed then he does his watches horror movies and writes his reviews so everybody check out his site com, and i'll have it linked in the show notes so there you go doc another okay. blogger like you brother Awesome. And thanks, Steve. And then Randy in Tucson, he was the guy that wrote us the um, iTunes review that said, great cast. And um, he he expounded on it. He said that he actually tried to submit a longer review, but iTunes was being very persnickety. This guy was trying to like submit an iTunes review ever since something like July, Dr. Shock. Wow. Yeah, so he was really committed. So we thank Randy for his commitment. And he said, a, a great podcast, solid, insightful dissections of the most important genre and fiction. It's great to follow a discussion of horror films that doesn't just begin with Halloween 1978. A diverse and ensemble of opinions that manages to cover everything from the silent classics to current VOD offerings. So thanks, Randy, for all you do for us. And um, I already talked about how we're going to cover our October Movies and Doc, I think that just about wraps up episode 26 of Horror Movie Podcast. Did you have a good time on this show?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. I always have fun. Mm-hmm. Always have a good time st- uh, talking with you and uh, just going over these, uh, you know,
0: going over horror movies. Mm-hmm. And it's one, oh, a- it's, <clears throat> it's one a.m. for you, just like we suspected it might be. Yes, it is. It is one
1: a.m. and I am just about
0: done. <laughs> <laughs> well, we want to tell people again: make sure you tune in to this show next Friday. Yes, the you don't have to wait two weeks this time. It's next Friday, October third. One week from today, we kick off our horror movie podcast, Halloween Extravaganza. We're bringing you five straight weeks of in depth reviews on the entire Halloween franchise, and we have some tremendous special guests there to help us out. So, next week, you get our first part of the five part series, and we're going to do Halloween, Halloween 2, and Halloween 3. And the week after, you know, we'll just keep on going. So um, you can check out our schedule, which is in our sidebar there at HorrorMoviePodcast.com. And we encourage you to re-watch the films along with us. In fact, Dr. Shock and I challenge you to rewatch all 10 Halloween movies along with us, huh, Doc?
1: Yes, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Even number six.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you're hilarious okay doc well um i'm gonna let you get cut out here but tell us um where the listeners can follow you and get more of your awesome film criticism oh
1: well thank you uh yeah it's um same place as always dvd all one r- word you can follow me on twitter at dvd infatuation again all one word um i'm also on the land of the creeps podcast uh with uh with uh, Jesse Robbins, Greg Amortis and um, Paddenfield Hatchet. You can check that out at LandOfTheCreeps.com and uh, in October uh, along with us uh, doing the uh, Halloween series I'm going to be reviewing a horror movie every day on the blog and it's going to be post uh, 2000 so there will all be newer ones Um, you check that out also again that's at DVDInfatuation.com
0: All right. Well, thanks a lot, buddy, for being here. It's good to have you.
1: No problem. Thank you.
0: Oh, and by the way, I got an email just today from our listener, Juan, whom you've probably read on our comment boards. We consider Juan a friend around here, and any friend of Juan's is a friend of mine. So Juan's friend has this Kickstarter campaign for an educational tool called Lei Lei, which I think that's how you say it. And I think it translates to... Read, Read. And it's a tool that helps Mexican-American children gain bilingual literacy skills and helps them to bridge the educational gap when they enter school. So if that's something that you'd like to support or at least check out, we'll have the Facebook and Kickstarter page linked in the show notes for this episode. Thanks, Juan. All right. And we just want you to know, we love your comments. We tried to cover some, some of them again tonight. Uh, we've been terrible about that and i apologize so uh and usually wolfman josh does a good job of keeping up with the comments but he's been working a ton lately so i, I want to thank everybody who's been you know keeping it going there on the comment board so you can just you know join the community leave a comment at horror movie podcast.com and any of the show notes you can also email us at horror at at gmail.com And leave us a voicemail at 801-382-8789. You can find all our past episodes, all 26, at horrormoviepodcast.com, including our archives for the weekly horror movie podcast and Horror Metropolis. And you can subscribe free in iTunes and follow us on Twitter at HorrorMovieCast. And I want to thank Fred Ingram for the use of his music for our theme song, You can find more of Fred's music at frederickingram.com, and it'll be linked in the show notes. And I just encourage people to go over and check out Movie Podcast Weekly. We cover new movies that are currently in theaters every single Tuesday. So, I think that's it for episode 26. We thank you for listening, and remember to join us again next Friday as we begin our Halloween extravaganza, or horror movie podcast where we're dead serious about horror movies